Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Psychic's Thoughts. Today is going to be an exciting episode. We're going to discuss Starfield, my initial impressions and thoughts on the latest release from Microsoft, Xbox, Bethesda. That's weird to all say, but, you know, those are all the people. I guess I don't have to say Microsoft. We all know Xbox is owned by Microsoft, but um, it is the first new franchised IP I assume it'll be a franchise. Uh, it is the first new IP uh, under Bethesda's original um, dev team in 25 years. Now, under my, from my understanding, they have two main IPs. And mind you, these two IPs are huge and have so many games under them and, and the spinoff games and things linked that it, it makes sense. And that is the Elder Scrolls series and Fallout. And most notably, some of those entries would include Fallout 3 and 4 from that series. And, um, well, Oblivion and Skyrim from The Elder Scrolls. And then, of course, The Elder Scrolls Online and Fallout 76, even though it came out to horrible reception initially and had all these problems, it's bounced back to a, to a degree and is proving itself to be still semi-legit now. I haven't played it, so I can't speak on that. So their latest entry is Starfield, which is a Bethesda uh, through and through type of game. It is an action RPG adventure game, and the setting is space. And uh, yeah, there you're, you're you're seeing a lot of stuff on that. If you're into gaming or if you're following this. Um, it is a game, it is an Xbox PC exclusive. Um, I do want to point out something though. That when they say PC exclusive, I, I know this is technically a no-brainer, but some people don't realize this. And I'm try I try to make this podcast, you know, digestible as possible and enjoyable for all. Regardless of your understanding, experience, or care for video games, which is sometimes why I beat a horse to death or I say a point that may be obvious to some of us gamers. So anyway, just... And of course, as you know, I do this from the top, just recording on my phone. I, I do take this seriously. I do care about it. This doesn't mean I don't. I'm just crunched for time. I'm a filmmaker. I am... A rapper and I do consulting work editing other people's podcasts and doing various other things to make some scratch when and where I can so and I'm a senior in college so my time is squeezed to a very finite amount and I usually want to spend that time relaxing talking to my loved ones and friends and such uh, writing or working on the stuff that I love to produce and I want to and then that small sliver of time at night to you know, to chill out and relax is, is spent gaming with my, my buddies or by myself. So it's a pretty good balance, but it, it is walking along a fine line, you know. Uh, and speaking of that, as always, please check out my short films and this new uh, film production company I'm starting up with my buddy called Psychus Productions, P-S-Y-K-U-S Productions on YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram. And also check out uh, me on Instagram and TikTok and wherever you what, uh, do social media at Psychic34, P-S-Y-K-I-C-K-34, and then my traditional brand name spelling across the board online is Psychic, P-S-Y-K-I-C-K, capital P, capital K, all one word, 
you can check out my music on Spotify, Apple Music, and wherever else you listen to music. So please do that. Please support uh, a fellow artist if you are one um, and or just an, another man trying to make it with, with what he loves to do. I appreciate the love and support as always. And uh, yeah, let's get into my initial thoughts and impressions on Starfield. Alright, so I have about five-ish hours into the game, so let me make this quick disclaimer. That is not a lot of fucking time in Starfield. <laughs> okay, so this might be a long podcast merely because I meander and I let my tangents run amok, and I apologize in advance if that's not what you like. Uh, obviously, if you've heard me by now, you know how this works, and I, of course I appreciate the support as always, because I still try to make things connect, loop back around, and I, I like the freestyle flow because it allows me to kind of stumble upon new things or connect things in ways I wouldn't have thought of if I was prescribed to a script, though it makes it a little less polished, I understand that, and a little, uh, you know, easy to, a little less easy to follow, so I, I try my best though, anyway. Um, like, for example, I just recorded a segment for 15 minutes, and then I realized I went so off on a tangent that there was no point in even including it. It was all about, like, the Xbox series as an optimization. And I'm like, this is a whole topic for another episode. I'll mention it lightly, but I'm like, I didn't mean to go 15 minutes into that. That's ridiculous. I'm getting off course here. Much like you will in Starfield. But, anyway... So I have about five hours in, okay? So I got it on Game Pass, and I, I also figure I should spit out my hardware, right? I'm I'm running it on PC, okay, and a pretty pretty high end. I mean it's a couple years old now, but it's still it's still holding its own very nicely. Um so I'm playing it on PC on Game Pass. I didn't buy it early, I didn't get the premium edition. That's ridiculous. I have Game Pass. Why would I buy it for $35 to play it three days early if this game's gonna be out for an eternity? That makes no sense. I did it for Diablo because I was depressed and too excited to wait. And I wasn't getting it free anyways, so it didn't matter. I was like, I'm paying, if I pay 20 bucks extra, $10 goes towards the season pass, which was okay. It wasn't really worth it at the end. Now I know. You know what I mean? But it was worth it. I love Diablo. It's one of my favorite games this year. Um, I would actually have said the best of the games I've purchased this year, I would say probably the best that I should have gotten, Ultimate Edition of Remnant 2. Because that gives you... Some extra stuff to begin with, right? Three days early access as well, which I find the whole early day access shit ridiculous if you buy it. But anyway, fine. And if you're going to give early access, make it a week. Don't make it three days. My God, if it was a week early, whew, that'd be dope. Anyway, um, but, uh, but that also comes with, uh, that comes with the three DLCs that will come out within the year or so. And, uh, that's not bad for $60 or 70 So for cheaper than most deluxe editions, you're getting way more. So Remnant 2, I would say, was worth it. The only reason why I didn't is because I'm considering if it ever has full cross-progression and cross-play, I will repurchase it. Yes, it's insane, I know. But I will repurchase possibly the Ultimate Edition at a discount because it'll be later, you know, maybe Cyber Monday, Black Friday, whatever. But I'll purchase it on PC so I can get the better frames, the better fidelity, and keep all my progress and, and play the new content. So, 
and they said they're working on a cross-play, cross-progression thing. They're, they're looking into it. So if they, if they pull that off, they did it with the last game, which is why I, I have high hopes. So anyway, aside from that, uh, Starfield, so I, I have five hours in it, roughly. And, I, and the reason why I want to throw that disclaimer, so I'm on PC, so I'm running at 60 frames, higher graphic fidelity, because your, your mileage may vary depending on your hardware, right? On consoles, it's locked at 30. I find this to be extremely frustrating. I understand there are limitations to consoles. I understand it may not be the same as PC. But PC, first of all, with SSDs, with the way this stuff is nowadays, most games should be optimized and most hardware should be able to easily support 1080 to 1440, not not talking in the 4K region, right? But 1080 to 1440p resolution, 60 frames base minimum with up to 120 frames depending on the game, depending on the hardware. That's where we should be. It shouldn't still be a struggle to get this shit up to 60. 30 frames is two generations ago. 30 frames was in 2007, Need I remind you, that's like 18 years ago, or 17 years ago, whatever. So, um, that's a long time ago. That's when 30 frames was the new thing. Was the Well, it was always kind of standard, because film is 24, 30 is, makes sense for video games. So, 30 is good, and there's a difference between... 30 frames nowadays as opposed to 10, 15 years ago at 30 frames. First of all, everything looks good. <laughs> looks much better. So when you consider how much bigger games are, how much more complex and many more systems and mechanics are going on, and how graphically intense it is, you know, you do have to accommodate for that. So I understand that, right? But there should be more options and settings for the consumer depending on their hardware and depending on the game to... to to take off the scale of the graphic quality a little bit. Like, good enough to see um, and, and to make it feel, you know, and look good and pretty and all that, but to be able to have the option to switch to the whole performance and quality, that's a big deal, folks. It's not that... Unfortunately, like, in some instances, it's really helpful. In some, it's just hardly useful. But the idea of it is good. It means, oh, do you want to pr prioritize performance, frame rate, and frame rate stability, or do you want to perform, have higher quality graphics? Most of the time, you're going to want performance. You just want more frames that are more stable. It doesn't matter if you have 120 frames if they're dropping down to 40 every three seconds, right? So it's a, it's not just a com culmination of more frames. It's more stability. So I get it. Game development is more hard, crunch time, all these things. I, I fully understand that. But we need more paths and more ways of optimization, and they need more time to make it run smoothly on everything. It should just be part of the industry standard of quality. And they shouldn't be allowed to run and build games on such old engines, even if they rework them a little bit. They either need to rebuild it from the ground up, right, or make a new one. I know that's not easy. But if it's if it, if you're just doing a sequel to a game or a small spin-off, that's one thing. But if you're doing a reboot of a franchise or a brand new entry, my God. If Bethesda used the time to build a... They, 
I learned that they didn't just use Creation 1. They, they call their engine Creation, right? Each game dev, studio, publisher, whatever, has their own engines. That is like the structural blueprint and makes up a majority of the identity for what we know of those franchises, right? Frostbite Engine, all these. And some are li licensed out to a bunch of different devs at different scales, like the Unreal Engine or Unity, right? Um, so it just depends. But after a while, once a game dev or publisher does enough in their company lifetime, they get comfortable on their engine, right? And that's fine. That's their architecture. That's, that's their language. They understand that more. They understand its quirks and its pros and cons, right? But you can still improve it. You can make a brand new version. You know, I don't fully understand how it all works. And I know that they did retool and make it a lot better for this and they and that is true that is 100 percent true i was very concerned when i first heard about this game because i'm like this game is going to be too heavy if fallout 76 broke them how the fuck is an intergalactic space opera epic epic genre gonna not fuck them over on the hardware technological department and it didn't and I think that's in part because they retooled their engine to to do much better with the lighting, the physics, the polish, the textures, the graphics, the bugs, the finesse. It's a world of difference when a Bethesda game doesn't feel dated. Doesn't feel like you're playing Fallout 4 or Skyrim. And mind you, at the time when those came out, those were pretty cutting edge. In terms of graphic fidelity and art style, they're beautiful, but in terms of performance, they were at best average until years later, mods and patches and such. Starfield Out the Gate, I can confirm, is the best-looking, best-technical playing of any original Bethesda title I have ever laid hands on. And I think a lot of people are saying the same. So in terms of technical performance so far, it has been, it's actually been one of the best and most stable this year, which is astounding to hear coming from a AAA studio, right? And one that is known for the bugs and the glitches, right? Um, and it's not just that, it's like, it's also, even when there weren't bugs and glitches in those previous games, there was just things that made it feel dated. The way you moved, the way the combat was atrocious, as I spoke about in my last podcast, right? Traversal was a slog. Like, their inventory management was a bitch. Like, there are so many things from a gameplay, mechanical, and UI standpoint that were handicapping the immersion and enjoyment and pacing, most importantly, for these Bethesda RPG epics. The dialogue, the writing, the voice acting, the graphics, the lighting, and some of the gameplay and the overall package was masterful. And that's why I think they stood atop the hill in this type of RPG line for so long and in so many ways. But... It's a video game. It's not a movie. It's not a TV show. Hell, they'd be great at writing TV. But, um, but it's a video game. And so beyond some of the, the beyond the dialogue, the storylines, some of those things, the gameplay has to be so fun and engaging where you want to role play in the sandbox of this environment. Yeah. 
And it's not that it was so bad you couldn't do it. It was still a high enough quality. It was still fun enough. I'm not saying it wasn't in the previous iterations, especially with Skyrim. But even then, you look back at it now. I mean, even when I played it then, I was like, yeah, this is great. But there are some things that they could do to really, you know, make this a little more of a lean, mean fighting machine for the better. And not compromise their story arcs and their quests and all that. It could still be a sprawling open world with all this stuff to do, right? So, I do appreciate that even though there's fetch quests and even though there's pointless things to do in, in a lot of Bethesda games, it is not nearly as bad and as repetitive as a Ubisoft title or as a CD Projekt Red title. I am I'm very thankful for that. And it's something I forgot because I haven't played a original Bethesda game in a while. I, I picked up and tried Elder Scrolls Online a couple years ago. I didn't like it. It wasn't for me. It was just too dated, and I, I just, I, it didn't grab me. Nothing against it for those who like it, just just wasn't for me. Um, so, needless to say, I was skeptical going in. But I was hopeful, because some of the things I was seeing was exciting me. I was like, oh my god, I love space things, folks. I mean, Star Wars is one of my favorite franchises, right? I, I love anything to do with space. Um, I love the art style and the aesthetic that, Starfield is going after this whole NASA's punk kind of hybrid, right? If I had to pick something that they were basing it off of, I wouldn't say it's like Star Wars. I would say it's more in tune with um, Alien. If you've ever seen Alien, which if you haven't, what the hell are you doing? Stop listening to me and go and watch Alien. But it's an incredible sci-fi horror film. And the sequel is an incredible sci-fi action suspense film. Um, and their art style, their aesthetic is this kind of clean, sleek, futuristic. But it still has some grime and grunge to it. That Grunge? Grime and whatever. Yeah, sure, grunge. Fuck it. It sounds cool. Um, you know, some smells like teen spirit shit to it. <laughs> no, but it had some kind of some dirtiness to it that kept it grounded and made it feel like it was a lived-in space, even though it had some of these clean, futuristic aesthetics. I feel Starfield is very much familiar to that. It is its own style, though. It, it, to be fair, there isn't quite anything that is like that. But, you know, other than if you see NASA stuff, <laughs> it is, it's really cool art style. I, I really appreciate what they did there, and the level of detail is insane. Okay? So, I'm only five hours in. And, like I said, that's not a lot of time in this game. There are people who have spent hundreds of bajillions of thousands of hours. But I wanted to record this now before I played more, because when I play more, I don't know how... what else will come up in my day. It's better to start with these podcasts on a day off when I get to chill than it is to do it later as... as I get busier, right? So I like to start with that. Um, so, yeah, the expectations and the hype train can be a bitch. It can really, really sideline things. Um, it very rarely does things accurately. And I think I am enjoying it more than I thought I would because I approached it carefully. And I still am. This game is not... I'm not, I'm not far enough to even come close to having a full opinion on this. I am five hours in. There are people who have spent 300 hours in this game. I'm, 
I don't think I'll even get to that point, to be honest. I love this game. I think I'll like it for a long time. There are other games that are going to be more intriguing to me that grab me as a genre, right? I love Bethesda. I like what they do. But their RPGs do not hook me as much as other games do. They just don't. But they still do it enough, right? So I'm, I could see myself doing about 60 to 100 hours in this game so far. I, I can kind of see me going in that trajectory. Finishing, finishing the main story doing a handful of side missions, side quests, doing some role-playing and free-playing free for fun, and then just kind of, yeah, leaving it. Not because I hate it, just because i uh, got other games and I did the bulk of the main content. This is the first game where they have New Game Plus of theirs, which is interesting. I don't quite know how that works, but I've heard it's actually good, it's well thought out, and people enjoy it, so that's cool. Um... This is really a step up, and it's not just in terms of graphic fidelity and performance, which it absolutely is. Mechanically speaking, this game is a massive step up from the previous iteration, and it's incredible to see that they actually took the work and time to do that. But it's also a step up in the philosophy and the, and the approach of how they make their games on the other levels that aren't just technical, somewhat technical, sure, but that are the gameplay loop what to fine-tune, what to polish, right? What to add, what to subtract, what to condense. I think, they find, I think they understood that this doesn't need to be a simulator, okay? And I feel like a lot of the time, Rockstar especially, but Bethesda also had elements of a sim, right? And as we know, in simulator video games, when it has that, be aware that that game doesn't give a fuck about the fun factor. It wants, I mean, it's still fun, but it's going to be harder to get into because it's a simulator. So those who like simulators will have fun. Those who don't, won't. They just won't because it's too realistic. It might take real time. It might have actual realistic physics involved, which are not as fun. <laughs> they are usually slower. And they're usually more damaging, you know, depending on the type of game, right? All these things that make it a sim, okay? Um, so Bethesda often had elements of sim in movement and traversal, in certain items and stuff, right? And in certain forms of combat, Part of it was just clunky and poor design, and then part of it was it was trying to be more realistic than it should have been. It's not as sim as GTA Red Dead, where if you trip over a pebble, you fall real hard, and it takes you four minutes to get your ass back up. It's not that bad, but it still, I, I don't care what people say, I, I don't like traversing on foot or whatever the fuck in most Bethesda games. Skyrim I could manage, it was okay, but even then there are times where I'm like, this is ridiculous, right? I am excited for the new Elder Scrolls. After seeing what they've done with this, knowing what they could do with the new tech and the new things that they've learned from other games and from themselves, it could, it could be better than Skyrim. I would just hope it would be, but if that's a tall order, right? But anyway... Um, so they, they did a better job at understanding that, that if they kept treating their audience like their input was nothing, they're gonna get shittier and shittier results over time. 
They listened to their audience. Not from Fallout 76. Well, obviously somewhat. But they've listened to their audience, I think, in a way that we've never seen Bethesda do from one jump to another. You know, because... Yeah, and I get it. Sometimes you have to just shut out what other people are saying so you can just focus on the craft because you're naturally going to get better after what you've learned. But there is a point where you need to intake people's feedback. If you are producing content for people, you have to get their general input at some point. Right? It depends on who you are and at what scale. And for Bethesda, they needed input. And they needed to listen because they were getting it everywhere. Right? And it's nothing that anyone's going to hold them against for the previous stuff because that's just how it was. They were cutting edge. But for modern day things, for what other games have done in the time, right? From exploration to combat to traversal to graphics to lighting to dialogue to the way the games are made now. And so I really do appreciate that Bethesda has taken notes and really reworked some of their things that we often see in their game to be so much better and more enjoyable to play. They've made this game more fun than they've ever made a game, at least right off the bat. So let's get into some of the specifics. Okay, I'm not going to like tell you how to play this game, I'm not going to tell you everything that goes on, and I'm not going to be spoiling the campaign as I'm still experiencing it myself. But I'll give you the gist, right? In the first hour, just right off the bat, first hour, you will be in a, in a locked-in kind of narrow pushing through to understand the core systems and the story the first pro the prologue of the story i have to admit this story is actually interesting i can't say if it's good yet i'm not that far into it right but i can say off the bat it is kind of interesting i am intrigued from the start of a story it this hook is not nearly as strong as skyrim's opening but it's a it's strong enough It'll get you through it. It looks great. It plays great. And I think that's one of the things that keeps you in this game longer than others. If this played like Fallout 4, hmm, I, I would have a very limited time on this. I, I just, I don't like the way Fallout plays. You can't shoot. You can barely run. What's the fucking point in a first-person shooter RPG? <laughs> right? Uh, this is different. This is... They overhauled their combat system way more like wow even from those previous like demos that they showed uh at like e3 or the equivalent of that a couple years ago wow <laughs> it's not as i mean it's not rainbow six or insurgency sandstorm or call of duty level first person shooting or destiny or, or halo you know it's not top tier but i would say like fallout especially i guess that's their only main shooter Fallout was like C tier. Hell, bordering line, borderline D tier. It, like, shooting your own gun natively was almost impossible. You might as well just use VATS all the fucking time in that game. In this game, I'd say it's B. Hell, even in moments, B+. That's really fucking good. Going from damn near D to B+, is a pretty fucking solid leap in the combat field. That's huge, folks. Combat is enjoyable, and it's so enjoyable in its loop that I think regardless of what enemy is thrown at me, how much combat I have to do, I will still thoroughly enjoy it as a mechanic. It won't get tiring. There is a balance to combat in games, especially RPG games, and that depending on the type of game, right? But 
if combat, even if it's good, if it becomes stale, repetitive, you're fighting the same thing, or it becomes monotonous, it, it loses, you know, it's not... I'm only five hours in, but I can even tell just from my years of gameplay, I think it'll always be fun to shoot at enemies or melee them. You know, it's not as fun as Elden Ring, it's not as good as that, it's not as good as any Halo or COD, it's not as rewarding and not as addictive and not as well made, but it's good enough to continue to do it for hours on hours. And that, that extends into spaceship combat, though that is more difficult because I am novice to flying, and, but it's not, it's not difficult in the sense that it's unintuitive or cumbersome. It's just difficult because it's hard to get used to it, that's all. But it's also just equally as good. So that's a godsend because there's a shit ton of combat in this game. There is. There's more combat in this game than I think there has been in any other Bethesda title, at least from memory. So that's awesome. So anyway, um, but but what I was saying beyond that, I mean, that's a huge overhaul. That was them listening. And I do think they said they got machine games in to come in and work on it, and it feels like they did. It's more snappy. It's more responsive. Um, on PC and on console, you can do this either way. You can jump in between first and third very seamlessly. Like, it is... I think it's the smoothest way to transition from first to third person. And it's a complete, it's not like Ghost Recon where like you can go first person when you're ADS, but only when you're ADS and then you snap back to third person. And that's fine for that series. This is, you, it, you could play the entire game in first person, you play it entirely in third person like some games offer, but you can immediately just by one button either press or I have it on my mouse wheel. So if I scroll up, I am pushing further in, right? So it is in first person. If I scroll back, it is in third person. If I scroll back one more time, it kind of punches you out just a little further, right? There's one that's like directly behind the shoulder, like a traditional kind of tight corridor third person shooter. And then there's one that's a little further back, more in the likes of Red Dead, right? That's dope. And I tested the fuck out of this mechanic. You can't do it while you're ADS, which makes sense, right? But other than that, or when you're in the middle of, like, uh, direct action, I think. I mean, maybe, like, reloading or whatever, but, like, if, you're, if there's, like, some intense animation. But you can do it while flying. You can do it while running. You can do it while standing still, of course. It's very seamless, which is nice. And I find myself using it a lot. There, there are times where I want to just switch to third person and times where I want to be in first. It's extremely easy to use. It's little things like this because it's, it's Bethesda's very, a very incredible team for making smart mechanics that's, that are beneficial to the gameplay loop and the lore and story, but where they fall short in so many areas in previous iterations that I find is that those mechanics, as cool as they are on paper, in execution, they work, but they're cumbersome they they take away from another experience you know and it's part of the balancing act and it's simple stuff folks i'm not talking like game breaking shit right it's as simple as like in certain games not bethesda titles but like in um was it is it diablo maybe or is it remnant one of those games, when you open up your map, I think it's Diablo, yeah, when you open up your map, I don't think you can keep, I don't think you can still walk and run while your map is open, and since you can't have a map overlay and all that, 
It's not the end of the world. You get used to it, but it kind of sucks. <laughs> I mean, you could pin stuff on the map. You got a mini map. It's not the end of the world. But it would be nice to have your full map open and continue to walk and run and see your arrow move like you can do in GTA and Red Dead and so many other games. It's that small type of detail where, oh, opening your map fucking full stops you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Small stuff like that. But when you have a lot of that, decent mechanics. The map works nicely. Moving works nicely in Diablo. Decent mechanics that are perfectly fine. But when you have um, new mechanics implemented, and if they completely cancel out another mechanic that is integral or enjoyable, right? It makes you not want to use that mechanic. Because you just, you know what I mean? There are many games, especially first-person games or ex exploration games, when you're doing your scanning feature or when you pull up your thing that, like, gathers information, i.e., like, No Man's Sky or other things like that, right? Specifically scanner, not like a pulse thing, not like Pulse and Rainbow or, like, in the Arkham Knight trilogy. Not like that, but more like, you know, when you're fully scanning or analyzing or something. When you pull up that tool or that device or that HUD, it either, most games, it does two things usually. It either makes you just fucking come to a dead stop. Now, not as much anymore, but certain games did that, right? Kind of like photo mode in a game. Or, more likely, this happens more often in these kinds of games. Sorry, I got cut off there. But more so... Uh, in, in the second side of things, when, when you're doing the scanning or observation tool, it slows you down so much. Because it wants, because it knows you're looking at stuff, so it's not too worried about you moving. Maybe it's to load stuff in the background, maybe it's to give it a balance so you're not constantly scanning shit when you should be in combat, whatever. I don't really fucking know. It sucks. Or you have to hold down the key to hold the scanner, or the scanner can only be up for so long, whatever. Right? I think in No Man's Sky, it's a great scanner, but it slows you down really badly. Maybe it's a settings thing. Maybe it's just me. I don't know. Or maybe I'm just fucking high and I'm not aware that it doesn't do anything with the movement. But I'm pretty sure in those kinds of things, it slows you down pretty well. Like 50%, which is a shit ton. In an open world game where you're trying to explore and move freely, uh, that's not fun. So, yeah... However, in Starfield, right, another, the scanner is like one of the most important things you're going to need. For my players who have this game, little tip, keep that motherfucker on anytime you're entering a room that is not combat-based, at least for the first time. Because one, it highlights everything within like a 10-meter radius, of course, that you need to know about, that is interactable. Now, it could be a bunch of junk and shit you don't need, but is still famous for that horse shit, which I'll get into later. But you can kind of tell, like, if, it, if it's the outline of a coffee mug, don't fucking bother, right? <laughs> if it's a weird shape you've never seen, if it's a crate, you start learning very quickly within a couple hours what is valuable and what is not valuable. You'll still catch some junk along the way, but it's really not that bad. It's not as bad as, like, Fallout. So it highlights those things, and it shows you the value or the stats or whatever else, right? That's all cool. It also highlights people. Dead or alive, kind of wish I had a different color for dead people, but that's okay. Or for people who've already been explored. That would be nice. If you've already, like, looted a dead body, I wish it would change the color on the scanner so you know not to go back there. But that's a small thing, and it's really not that big of a deal. But yeah, dead people or alive people, 
Um, you know. So, it's a very important tool because it'll show you stuff that is hiding in plain sight. Right? Credits, which is the currency. It's cash. So, sometimes credits are just laying on a table. It's this weird, like, little tab-looking thing, so it's hard to see. So, if you have your scanner on, you'll find it. Certain safe boxes or loot, um, weapons, dead bodies, all that stuff, right? It's all very seamless. Also, another extremely valuable thing it does that you should be aware of if you have the game and even if you don't, something that I think is just ingenious that they thought of is it shows where your current tracked objective, mission, whatever it may be, maybe the story mission, main mission, maybe side mission, whatever it is, whatever your main track and your log that you're currently pursuing in your objective, it will show you blue lines running across the floor, arrows, very descriptively helpful arrows, constantly just pointing where you have to walk or run. And you might think, well, that's a cop-out I'd rather find on my own. Fine. Turn off your fucking scanner. Good luck. There's no mini-map and there's no map to where you are. The only time there's a map is when you are teleporting or planet hopping. So when you're looking at, like, the general planets and shit. And it's a beautiful and really cool map. And it's helpful for that purpose, but it is not meant for on-foot traversal. So when you're in a city, an area, a region, a, a lab, or whatever the fuck... There is no mini-map. There is no map. You haven't the foggiest fucking idea where you are. There is a lot of times where you will accidentally backtrack if things look semi-familiar. Luckily enough, so far, all the geometry and all the layouts and stuff feel different enough where I haven't backtracked. I've only done it once. And that's partially because I was tired and I wasn't really paying attention. So that was partially on me. But you turn on your scanner. As soon as you find yourself backtracking, just turn it on. And it's literally the press of a button. It can be on the entire time. And, what I meant to mention the whole time, it does not change your movement speed whatsoever. You can still jump, boost jump, jetpack, whatever the fuck, run, sprint, slide, crouch. The only thing you cannot do while you're in scanning mode is be in full combat. You could still turn it on when people are shooting at you, you just can't pull out a lethal weapon. Which is understandable. That's fine. Who gives a shit? Why would you be scanning if you're trying to shoot people? It would honestly mess up your aim and give you too much information on screen that you don't need to bother with at the moment. In fact, if you t I found this out last night. If you try to shoot something while you're in the scanning mode, because it's like a toggle key, so you can just toggle it and it's on. You don't have to hold it down. Or it should be an option if you, if you find yourself you're having to hold it down. It should be an option where you could just toggle it on. If you're scanning stuff... Um... If you have your scanner up, I mean, it's a whole HUD thing. It's not like a little device you have to look through. It's not a, no, no extra bullshit like that. But if you try to shoot something, it will pull out your laser cutter, which is not very damaging on people. It does like four damage, which is not a lot, obviously. It's designed for resource allocation. That is such a subtle and smart design. It means you never have to equip your fucking laser cutter ever. As long as you have one, I assume, in your inventory which you should always just keep one on you. It's not a big deal. It's just one weapon. Um, because if you ever find yourself going and mining for resources, I have yet to do it, and I don't know if I will. But if I do, I just turn on my scanner, which I most likely will be doing to find those resources I need anyway, and then I just press my fire button, and my laser cutter pops up, and I can use it. 
I don't even have to go in and equip it or find it or hope that I still have one. So as long as I don't delete or sell my laser cutter, I think I'll be fine. Of course, if you have your scanner on and you try to go in combat with lethal force, you can't. Who gives a shit, though? Just turn it off. It's a press of a button. It's those kinds of things, right? It's subtle, small things that could have been encumbered by the balancing of something else, right? Another example. Here's something I complained about out of fear, not that I knew anything. But at the time when I did my podcast about the hype of Starfield, the one thing I was worried about, right? Because as I said before, the traversal in Bethesda games, I'm not a fan of. On foot, vehicle, whatever the fuck. And their fast travel stuff, once you get it, works, but you can't just fast travel anywhere. You have to go to like fast travel points, or even if you can, it's it's a little cumbersome, right? Nope. Starfield, it's almost like you should just be fast traveling, and it encourages you. One, here's here's awesome stuff, right? If you are if you decide to explore a planet, which we'll talk about exploration in a bit, because it's actually not a focus of the game, so don't focus a lot of energy in this in exploration. Um, but when you're playing this game, regardless of where you are, unless you're in combat, obviously if you're in combat, or if you're carrying too much and you're encumbered, then you cannot fast travel. Other than that, from my understanding, and possibly if like if you're in a dialogue scene or cutscene, obviously, right, some obvious stuff. Other than that, though, you could fast travel to your ship at the press of a button or a couple buttons. It's not difficult. You don't have to walk back to your ship to enable fast travel. You don't have to find a fast travel beacon or whatever stupid shit. Press of a button, then you're at your ship. Then, from your ship, you can fly around, you can kill space pirates, you can look for stuff in your starship, and that can be fun. But then you can just open a map and you can go immediately to wherever you have to go. Now, there are some objectives and side missions and extra stuff that you will add that is not the main story that you can't quite travel or teleport to yet. You gotta get... It's basically just a general progression blocker. It's like, you gotta explore more of the galaxy. You know, it says it's too far away. It doesn't mean you have to go in that area manually, and you shouldn't. It just means you gotta play a little further. Get a better scanner. You know what I mean? Just get a little further in the game. No biggie. But the main mission... The main story doesn't limit you... You know, you could just... You could just beeline that bitch and probably be done with it in 20 hours. And you just literally just fast travel to the point you have to. You don't got to fly around. You don't have to find it. You just fast travel and you're literally there. Now, it's a cutscene and it's, it only takes like five seconds, by the way. It, it is not, it's not like Destiny. It's, <laughs> it is a dynamic cutscene. It shows your ship taking off from that planet and arriving at the next planet. And it literally takes no more than five seconds or so. So it's very fast. And then, even at that point, You've got two options. Once you land, you're in your cockpit, right? You have two options. You can get up from your seat, which allows you to manually walk around your ship, maybe rest, grab some stuff from your inventory, and then leave your ship. Or you just say, get out, I think, or, or exit ship or whatever. And then you're just, you're out of your ship. It's another small loading screen. literally takes one second to load. And you're out of your ship, and you're just at the landing pad, and then you can walk forth. So it's even saving you time to have to get your ass up and walk out of the ship, which doesn't take that long anyway, but 
honestly, it under, they understood you're going to be doing that a fuck ton. And if you don't feel like doing that all the time, it's those small seconds that it's shaving down on mechanically that is allowing you to get into the fun parts of the game. That was what I was complaining about a while ago with when I talked about Starfield and Bethesda in general. When I was talking about the hype, I was like, Bethesda makes great games, good stories, awesome RPG mechanics, you know, really cool ideas, concepts, all these things, right? However, we find that, like, I find them in this weird predicament where so many of their things slows you down from getting to that point. Against your will, too, like the movement, the encumbrance system, the this or that, the, the traveling, all that. It slows you down to get to the fun stuff, the exploration or the combat or the whatever you want to do, right? The main meat and potatoes of the game. This game does as much as possible, I would imagine, to shave that down so you can get right into what you want to do. And I really do appreciate that through and through because it's understanding itself more than ever, right? I think the dialogue and voice acting is a step up, too. Um graphics, all that. Um, character animation. Let's talk about that real quick. Facial animation is important. It's not great in this game. I'll be 100% honest with you. You know, I'll have a cons thing in a second, but, um, in the next segment or something, but it's not great. You know, it's, it's not like, it's not like Red Dead level. It's not like any of that, right? It's not terrible, though. They actually did more animations and more dynamic looks and stuff. And for the main characters and the main people you're going to talk to the most, they did a decent job. It actually, it's not stale. It's not weird. It's not robotic feeling. There are some NPCs and there are times where it might feel that way a little bit. It's still some uncanny valley. But for the most part, they've done a massive improvement over that. And so I really appreciate that because you talk to a lot of people. And when it feels like you're talking to a stiff cardboard cutout, it just breaks the immersion and this game has to balance its gameplay mechanics and its story and rpg mechanics but it has to balance it for the sake of immersion more than anything else because as soon as you feel like you're not part of this world or that you don't you know want to be a part of this world you're done you're out this game is a lot of time and energy and it's fun and rewarding and it's worth it but it's only worth it if you want to be a part of it right and that's most games but most games level of immersion is different from baseline entry and might not require as much time, right? Especially if it's so gameplay-focused and so fast-paced that it's not too worried about the immersion. It's more so, you know, its immersion is based in its gameplay. This does a healthy balance, and there are times where this game is going to be slow. And it's not because the game isn't well-designed. It's because it's intentionally going slower because you're talking, or, (laughs) you know, you're traveling, or whatever. Okay, so... It's stuff like that. There are... The the main story is interesting for the most part. It's good acting, good stories. Um, I gotta say, I'm usually scared about companions and, and listening to everyone. So far, the voice acting is good. It's not annoying. The usage of in-game voice lines from your companions spurring up is not so frequent. It's annoying. Um, the companions, as from the AI, from the gameplay, like when you're in combat or when they're with you, they don't get in your way. Uh, they do good damage. They actually will kill enemies. They'll they'll take some aggro and they'll help you carry stuff. So they are useful. They're worth having. They'll give you statistical improvements when you're on your ship, depending on their skill levels. It's good. 
the companion system is really, you know, it's nicely polished. Um, you know, and I'm interested in, in some of the characters. Uh, I would say I'm not as interested in the writing or the style or maybe the acting. I don't know what it is. Maybe, maybe I'm not far enough. It doesn't quite grab me the same way Cyberpunk did. It could just be different folks, different strokes, or a different time in my life. I don't know. But Cyberpunk grabbed me. Like, I was I was thoroughly interested in the story, and I wanted to hear everything everyone had to say. I think it was partially the style of writing, but I gotta say, the writing in this game is really good. It is actually interesting. I do want to hear more than I thought I would. Now, some of it, and I've become more accustomed to this stuff, so some of it I can skip, or some of it I realize, like, okay, this is just flowery fluff, you know. Uh, it's great too. Um, you can skip by line, <laughs> um, so you can you know so you can read it and you can kind of speed read it and you can skip it faster than they're talking, which is nice. But it doesn't mean you're skipping the entire interaction. Obviously, if you go too fast, you might fuck up. Um, the dialogue options are plenty, and they um, are pattern based. They're literally a very linear pattern, as often with Bethesda. Thank the Lord. The like the top one is just neutral, kind of positive neutral. The one, the next one is, um, you know, a little more challenging, but still kind of on the neutral. Of I think there's five lines of choice most of the time. The third one is like, okay, now you're you're kind of challenging. You're trying to either persuade or do something, and it'll tell you if you're trying to persuade and stuff uh, before you start that key. And the fourth one. Fourth and fifth are either extra information or um, or more of a challenge on a thought or a topic. So it's it's a good balance. It's a good pattern. The persuasion mechanic also I've I think has done a nice improvement. Um, I I I always liked having persuasion uh, in my builds in Bethesda, but I didn't prioritize it too much. In this, it actually feels like it's going to be more meaningful, um, and it's easier to follow. It will literally show you the. How many uh, attempts you have at persuading someone. I think you have baseline three, which is nice. Um, and don't be don't be concerned about the... So when you start a persuasion key, like usually you have a regular dialogue interaction with a character, right? And then, you, and then it literally will just say in a bracket, in parentheses, persuade. And it'll be the persuasion option. So if you want to go that route, you can. And you don't have to have the persuasion skill to even pull it off. The... But once you allocate into that skill point, which I'll talk about later with the skills and attributes and stuff, um, it'll make it easier over time, sure, and give you a better chance of success. However, uh, with Persuasion, when you start that thing, it will show in the bottom three attempts. Three attempts at pers trying to persuade somebody and to see if they, you know, if you can. So, here's how it works. So once you do it, it'll give you another three to five lines, and it'll have a little color and a number next to each line. This sounds more complicated because it's in a podcast. Trust me, it's really not that complicated. The first line or two is like green plus one. Yellow plus two or three, and then red plus four or five. Those numbers have nothing to do with the attempts at the bottom. Understand that. Because I thought originally it did. So I'm like, oh, well, I can only choose one. I'm like, wait, this doesn't make sense. If this is plus five, I only have three attempts. Maybe it's locked. Maybe I need... No, you have three attempts regardless. It's those pluses kind of like the persuasion progression bar, which I think actually pops up once you 
succeed briefly for a few seconds. It kind of pops up in the bottom. So if you do the plus one, that's green. The green means it's the safest. It's the least risk, but it's also the least reward. It's a whole risk reward. So if you do plus one green, it's kind of just like an introductory whatever. It may work, and it inches them for it a little bit, but it's not much, but it also isn't as much of a like a chance for them shutting down. It's not as risky, right? Obviously, you go in the red and plus five. If, you can, if it works and you can persuade them, great. Then it might just be that one prompt and you've done it. You don't have to keep finessing it. It doesn't take very long. It only takes a few seconds. I've had two attempts of a successful... Of the three I've done so far, I think I've done three or four, maybe more. Uh, two or three have been successful. One has been unsuccessful. It's really not that bad. It is a much cleaner, easier to understand UI. And it's actually an engaging system because the dialogue is interesting. Also, you're a silent protagonist. I think that's really important to understand. Your character does not make a peep. It's lovely. Thank the good lord. We don't need every protagonist to be talking. And when it's our own protagonist and everything we do is choice by dialogue uh, options, I don't think it's necessary. I don't think it hurts in certain games, right? I think it works in Cyberpunk. I think Cyberpunk has it, right? Um, but... I like the silent protagonist, you know? I'm a Halo Reach fan through and through. I don't mind the silent protagonist route. So yeah, um, it works for this. Persuasion's dope. Um, combat is really good, really well thought out. Uh, gravity. Let's talk about that real quick. That will affect... I, I want to talk about inventory management, encumbrance, all that, and then I'll get into some of the cons. And I'll talk about some of the other pros I have so far. Um, gravity is interesting. At least from my understanding, gravity does actually affect how fast you will move depending on where it is. And it will show on the planet. If it's 1.00 on the gravity metric thing, you're fine. You're going to be moving like you do on Earth. It's regular. Obviously, if it's higher, I assume you're going to be moving light. Or you're going to be... You're, you're, it's, I think it's a higher gravitational pull, so it means you're more stuck on earth so your jumps aren't as high your boosts aren't as high but you can move and run on ground faster just slightly and then if it's the other way you can boost or jump much higher because you're floating right it's sometimes zero g or it's below zero g however walking is slower. Sprinting, I don't think, is ever affected by anything. So if you sprint, it's essentially the same rate. But if you walk, that will be affected. That is cool. Also, in respect to that, first of all, the walking speed at one gravity is pretty nice. It is a little faster paced than normal. So it's a nice walking pace. Sprinting is really nice. You have a good amount of stamina. Not enough, but you have a good amount. And you are fucking fast as shit when you sprint. So it's actually really nice. Uh, after like the first main mission or two, you get your boost pack, which is also helpful. You have plenty of fuel. It recharges like every, almost every simple mechanic. It passively recharges once you, you know, you use it. They could have done some stupid shit where you have to refill your fuel thing. If it was more on the space sim thing, that's what would actually have to happen. That's what No Man's Sky does. So I'm glad it's not like that. Um, that boost pack is everything. That is a massive traversal game. It will allow you to jump and boost further. It will allow you to dash further. It is integral to having more mobility and enjoying it while you're doing it. 
You can do it in third, first and third. By the way, everything I'm talking about can be done in first and third person. Literally everything in this game can be done in both. So you also have that option, and it's like I said, it's an easy, seamless transition with just the press of a button, or even easier. Um, so there's that. The movement is pretty good, honestly. And I want to I want to applaud them because this is the biggest thing, the biggest improvement, I think, that really helps my enjoyment. Not the biggest, but one big. Combat, I think, in them radically overhauling and improving combat and making it more dynamic, more rewarding, and more fun with more weapons is the best in singular one improvement in this Bethesda game because their games are always filled with combat. It's not like this is a passive game. This is a shooter. This is designed, you are going to be killing a lot unless you really try to be, play passively. But even then, you probably won't be able to all the time. And they did a phenomenal job, and they continued to do a phenomenal job even in this, the space fighting stuff, which I'll talk about the starships and the space and the flying stuff in a second. But um, this is probably, by the way, this part of the podcast is probably just going to be the longest, just because I have more good than bad, and there's a lot of mechanics that I'm kind of talking about while I talk about them and as, as kind of points that are good. I'm just also mentioning them in general, right? So it's also kind of informational. So anyway, the, yeah, so bear with me. So the, um, the encumbrance, which is like the weight, right? Oh, you have too much stuff that still exists. Of course it does, right? You have a good, you don't, have a lot, but you have a good amount. I think it's like 135. It's it's not just weight. It's not pounds anymore, right? It's mass, right? It's just the same thing. Um, luckily, you have a lot of options to quickly manage it. Um, one, you could just dump it or not pick something up because it's heavy in the first place if you find no value in it. Uh, obviously, there's that. Um, you could just drop it on your ship. And it will stay on your ship. It will not fall through. It will not disappear, or at least not for a while. It's there. So that's good. Um, the you can you have multiple ways of transferring it. For one, you can put it on your companion. On I think you could just load it on multiple. Now, mind you, if you do not retrieve it from them, you will not have it. Obviously, right? But don't forget that you gave it to them. Uh, and obviously, the most important stuff you want to use, keep it on you, right? Or keep it in your starship inventory. Your spaceship or starship or whatever the hell you want to call it also has a good amount of inventory, better than you as a person do. Usually, just baseline four times the amount. Uh, obviously, it has to hold some other things that you normally wouldn't have to hold to to you know for space-related stuff like spaceship parts and a couple other things but you can load it with anything you really want and it will also autofill its inventory when you're out in space and you destroy a ship and you pick up stuff it doesn't put it on your personal inventory it puts it on the spaceship inventory which i found out thank god that's another mechanic where they could have fucked that up they could have been like oh it's on your person now now you got to transfer it into your thing which wouldn't have been like it's not like it's that big of a deal you would have just had to get up from your seat go into your inventory and then transfer it it takes but 10 seconds but if you had to do that every time you collect stuff in space if you're going to do a lot of space combat and shit that would be very very fucking tedious right nope just automatically fills right in there 
Also, you just, by the way, when you destroy someone else's ship, if you decide to do that, you scavenge it, you know, you loot it like you loot a dead body. You're just doing it in your spaceship. So you just, it's literally the same buttons, and then you press what you want. It's awesome. It, you know, you don't have to get out. You don't have to do all these things. You don't, it's very seamless, which is nice. Um, but yes, the weight, the encumbrance. Okay, so if you're carrying too much, what happens? One, you can't fast travel. So watch your weight if you're going to decide to explore far away from your ship. That's all I'll say. Just watch how much you're carrying. Dump most of it. A lot of the time you don't need half the shit you're carrying and you forget you have it. And that's because of one of the cons. It's not a huge con. It's just a slight con, which is inventory. The inventory is understandable. It's not so stupidly complex. And it's, it's very clean. It's easy to read. It's easy to understand. And it's well categorized. It's just not quite as fluid or quite as easy as previous entries in Bethesda. And that's unfortunate, but it's not the end of the world. I, I, honestly, I honestly like the inventory system in this game. I, just, I do understand there are some things that are that shouldn't be categorized in like miscellaneous, right? There's a lot of stuff that gets thrown in miscellaneous that is not miscellaneous. Luckily, though, there's enough ways to find stuff. It's easy. It's not, it's not as cumbersome as like Borderlands 3. God, that inventory management system was the worst. That was horrible, right? So it's, it's definitely not the worst. Anyway, um... But the encumbrance system, if you're carrying more than you should and you're exceeding your weight limit, we all know it, right? If you've played Bethesda, you've played, you've been in this situation, what happens, right? Uh, you slow down and your stamina ain't as good and all these things, right? Yeah. And by the way, in those games, you slow down so fucking much, you can't do jack shit. You have to dump it right there. And usually you're on foot stuck in the middle of buttfuck nowhere and you're in a position where it's not ideal to drop everything. It sucks. It was just a huge gameplay halt for no fucking reason. I like games that have those mechanics, that still have those mechanics when they want that realism or they want that balance check, but they don't let it encumber the flow of gameplay so much to the point where you're not having fun anymore. And Starfield figured it out. They did a very simple thing, from my understanding. I could be wrong, but so far, from what I've seen and what I've experienced, it doesn't slow you down. Well, then you might be thinking, well, Sai, why the fuck would I care? Because it dramatically uses way more stamina for anything that's stamina-related. And I mean, like, dramatically enough where you're still going to want to dump that stuff. If you're sprinting, it will burn through your fucking stamina. You'll have, like, four or five seconds of solid sprinting. It halves it. It uses 50% more of your stamina. <sighs> Jetpacking, jumping, and sprinting. Walking, you're fine. Walking, it does not affect your speed at all. The only downside to this is if you are not paying attention, it, by the way, if you do have too much weight, it will literally say in the top right, you are carrying too much, you are now encumbered, this will affect your stamina. Okay? <laughs> so it tells you every single time. However, if you're not paying attention or you don't realize, that is the only downside, because it now it doesn't slow you down, so you may not realize that you're burning through your stamina. And trust me, there are going to be moments where you pick something up quickly because you're in the middle of combat, or you're not paying attention because you're looking at something pretty, and you don't realize that you've just been encumbered. You th think it's just some other pop-up notification or whatever. And you're like, why is my stamina burning? That's the only downside to it. Honestly, I don't give a fuck. I don't care. I would rather just be able to move normally.
I don't care. Hell, it, using more stamina is fair. It doesn't, because like, it was ridiculous. It was it was ridiculous. Like, it, say you have a weight limit of two hundred, you can carry two hundred pounds, or whatever, two hundred mass. You hit two hundred one, it slows you down by fifty percent. Like you just can't, you could can barely walk or move. Having that one extra over the line, no. Now the more you have, it just fucks up your stamina for when you decide to do that. I appreciate that greatly. Do you know how much less stressed I am now about managing that stuff? I still manage it. I'm just not remotely as stressed about, oh my god, I don't know if I want to pick this up because I don't want to be slowed down so much. Because it slows you down so much, you literally can't do anything except remove that stuff. And it's usually in the most inopportune times, right? Because there's a lot of shit to pick up. So I'm so glad they fixed that. They, they found a way to still keep it and make it, you know, a balanced system, but a more fairly balanced system. They, they understand that you are going to want to get to this game faster to play more of it. They have understood that. Almost everything from their philosophy has, is leaning into you playing it and getting into the fun of it and avoiding those dead spots of nothingness which can happen a lot or for very long amounts of time to the point where you don't want to play the game anymore. I think they realize that because they see how many times people do not complete their campaign, and I feel bad for them. They go into a lot of work to build the story, the characters, the lore, the campaign, and they want people to play through the main mission. This is the first instance I've ever seen where unanimously people are saying, play through the entire campaign and prioritize it. Do a few side missions, do a few cool things like that, but they'll still be there when you're done. Play through the campaign. It, the, the main missions, right? The main objective. It will give, first of all, it'll help you, it'll guide you through. It'll naturally, in a more fun and compact way, allow you to have all the experiences you would want in this game. It helps you flesh out and level up more. And it opens up and makes everything else later easier. So if you want to go and do that mission, it makes it so much easier to do it. Not just because you're more powerful, but just to get there, right? I think it's a balance. I think it's, for me, it's like 60-70% main mission, 20-30% side or extra mission. Um, and the one thing I meant to mention in the beginning, my expectations, I for one, I didn't follow this game for a lot. I followed it generally, but I didn't get into like the hype. I stayed away from it until a week ago. So I think that's healthy. I've been hyped for this game for just a week. Like, truly hyped, like, oh, I want to play this game badly. That's it. And I'm getting it for no additional cost, so it's no harm on my wallet. And I watched the reviewers, I listened to the people who I care about, and they helped keep my, my thoughts in check. Praise the Lord that they covered this, and I'll cover it for you all here today. If you haven't known already, and if you haven't played the game, of course... This game is not No Man's Sky, it's not Star Citizen, it's not these other space things. It's not a space sim, right? No Man's Sky is what it's compared to because it looks similar. And that's, honest to God, that's what I thought this game would be. I don't know why I thought that, that doesn't make any sense. Because Bethesda's going to just do an RPG. Their type of RPG. People say it's just treat it like a improved, new and improved Skyrim or Fallout, more so Fallout just with the backdrop setting and lore of a space epic. That's it. Better graphics, better gameplay, space epic. It's Fallout in space. 
It's not. That's a bastardization of what it actually is. But the reason why people are saying that is it simplifies the expectation curve. Don't expect No Man's Sky. This is not a sim. You don't have to load, like, specific resources. In. And usually I find that shit tedious, but No Man's Sky, I don't find it too bad. No Man's Sky has no fucking story. Not really. They say they do. They don't. There's no objective. There's nothing like that. The combat sucks dick still. It's not the worst in the world, but it's pretty bad. It's Fallout bad. Because No Man's Sky is designed for pure exploration. Whatever the fuck you want to do, you can do it. And you really can in No Man's Sky. In Starfield, you can do um, that too, but it's different. And I think that helped me a lot going into it. Because at first I was worried. And I mentioned this in my Starfield hype one, right? I said there's no... I said it really sucks that there's no... Interplanetary travel. Whatever. The transition. The being able to fly in atmosphere and land, and take off, and fly out of the atmosphere, seamlessly, and to hover around the planet, and fly, and scout the planet, you know what I mean, I was worried about that, and I still wish we had that as a feature, just as a choice, if we decided to, still have all the fast travel implementations the same, all, everything else the same, but just also have that as an option, that would be cool. Then I realized exactly why they don't have that. For two reasons. The primary one is the engine they built it on. I simply don't think they could have done that in sustained stability. And I get it. I'd rather have a stable game than a broken one for one feature. So that's fine. I, it's, a, it's a thing that I'm no longer craving as much because now I understand what this game is actually. This game, I wouldn't even treat it like a full open world. Treat it like a partial open world. Treat it like Dark Souls, or more so like Sekiro, like uh, Jedi, uh, Fallen Order, or Survivor, like uh, the newer God of Wars. Treat it like that. Do not treat it like No Man's Sky. Don't treat it like Skyrim, even, in the sense of the open world and exploration. Because you can... Just fucking walk out into the distance. Sure, knock yourself out. You're wasting your fucking time. You will find a few things there. There will be a few things. Don't bother. I swear to God, it's not worth it. 10% of all the planets you see will have no life forms other than some of the outposts and bases. And guess what? You don't have to walk randomly in the fucking middle of nowhere to find these places. It's where it fast travels you. Every point, every first contact onto a new planet, you are in, most likely, the most complex region. Now, there could be some neighboring outposts and towns, and it'll show you in a decent range, hey, there's something undiscovered over there. So it'll literally say, like, 2,000 meters away, there is something there to explore. So you know you're not completely wasting your time, you're gonna, you know, you gotta find a way to get there. Usually you could fast travel there, or you could walk. I would fast travel if I were you. It's a lot of walking, and nothing will happen in between. So just fast travel there, if you can. You know what I mean? So for that instance, it's fine. This is not an open-world exploration game. Do not treat it like that. Treat this like a like level set pieces. Massive, open levels. Like Sniper Elite, where you can take 12 different paths in doing the objective, and try some shit, and see some stuff on the side. Right, the hubs are open world. They're massive. There's a massive citadel, and when you first get to the new Atlantis place, or whatever it's called, you walk around the city. You talk to the NPCs. Yeah, like that's open world, and it's massive. It is not that big though. It's like 
It's a it's like a city. It's a small like hub city, you know. And it's cool. It's interactive. There's a lot of dynamicism. There's some side missions. There's some hidden loot, maybe. Right? There's some cool stuff to do. But don't treat this like No Man's Sky. Don't think you're going to have to, like, survey all this stuff and explore. You can if you want. It's uh, it's definitely an option. I would not prioritize that. The fun in this game is pushing through the main story, doing the side missions. There are enough side missions and stuff, and it gives you the necessary information. Go to this system, track this, you'll be in the objective. It doesn't actually want you to travel and explore that much. Now, that may dissuade a lot of you who like the exploration of Bethesda, who loved in Skyrim if you just walked in one general area, you'd stumble into something, right? I understand that. You have to understand, this is not one giant world. And to be fair, nowadays, when we look at the Skyrim map, it's still huge, but it's not. It's, there's so many open worlds that exceed it in size and complexity. It's still pretty big for the time, especially. But it's one map. Carefully crafted. Every pocket filled with something that Bethesda wanted. Or nothing. Intentionally. This game is not quite that. I, I said earlier it was procedurally generated. It is, but not really. It, it kind of is. It's very lightly procedurally generated. In terms of enemies and certain layouts and certain times you'll see stuff, sure. But it, Remnant 2 is more procedurally generated. No Man's Sky is definitely procedurally generated through and through. This game is not. Mostly because you fast travel, but things are where they are. And once you see them, they're there. They're not going to switch up on you like that. Like the new Atlantis is on that planet and will forever be on whatever the fuck planet it's on. I think it's on like Earth or the rendition of Earth. It's there. It ain't changing. It ain't going away. I think it's called New Atlantis. Anyway, it's going to be there. It's always there. And the stuff around it, too, the outpost of the, this and that, it's there. Right? When you see a planet, when you scan it, whatever's there is there. It's not switching up on you. It is contiguous, meaning if you're on that planet and you don't want to walk those 3,000 meters to get to that undiscovered thing, you could fast travel to a point closer to it. And in retrospect to what you're basing it off your map, it will, that undiscovered will still be there. It will not generate a new seed of things and a new plot of land. It will not randomize it or skip it further. It's there. So I don't even fully know what the hell is actually procedurally generated. Is it... Just some of the enemies, some of the layouts, obviously some of that to keep things fresh. And then is it the order of extra planets that aren't main mission based? Is it maybe the layouts of exactly where? So like if you play it, maybe your new Atlantis is on a different planet, but you still get to it all the same. You fast travel, you still get it in the mission and the campaign at the same time. And it looks the same once you're there. It's really just, it's on a different planet. Oh, who gives a shit? Right? But this isn't an exploration game. You're not going to be walking around aimlessly. I swear to God, if you do that, you're going to be hurting your experience, not helping it. It will not reward you. There are people who have tried it, and they have found nothing. They, occasionally, they'll find something cool. Trust me, Bethesda is not putting some random stranger wanting to talk to you in the middle of the fucking desert for no reason. That's Why would they do that? 
Think about that. Why would they go to the trouble to build that NPC, build all that stuff, build that quest line following that NPC, and put it smack dab where no one will fucking find it? That's like working on something really hard for no one to literally appreciate. That doesn't make sense. It will be hiding in plain sight. I swear to God. Everything I have found is in plain sight. Because it's dense. Dense, not densed. It's dense. When you go to a city, when you go to a hub, or when you're exploring a mission, there are pockets, there are things to explore there. So please do not be concerned that there is no exploration. There is a fuck ton of exploration. It's just focused, condensed exploration, like your traditional level-based games. More so now than ever. Right? Think of... You know, when you think of, like, Jedi Survivor or Fallen Order or whatever, you think of God of War, you think of these kinds of games, right? When you're on a level, it's an open enough level. You can have two or three, maybe more, or maybe one, depending if it's a story-based mission, like, heavily, like, has to follow this narrative point, whatever. You have different ways of approaching the combat or the area. Oh, there's that secret path that's locked away. It doesn't prevent you from pushing forward through the campaign or doing the bulk of it, but there's that little secret path. Maybe it's guarded by a key that you have to get later in the game, so you have to come back there, or maybe it's a puzzle you have to figure out. Stuff like that, right? Same philosophy in Starfield, which I appreciate because it keeps everything focused and it keeps the pacing tighter, which is always my concern with Bethesda games. If it was like, oh, some of the coolest objectives and loot is way out in the middle of fucking nowhere, procedurally generated, good luck. Oh, you have no land vehicles, you can't fly in atmosphere, you have to walk or run everywhere. So when people were first saying that, it worried us, right? We were like, oh my god. They, they don't, they haven't learned. We have to walk or run, we get no land vehicle, we get no in-atmosphere flying. How the fuck are we going to get to things? What no one ever mentioned is that you're fast traveling everywhere if you want. Of course, you could take the long route and just manually travel there. There's nothing stopping you. It'll just take you a century to get there. So anyway, I wanted to make that very clear for those of you who have not picked up Starfield or who are interested or who have the same concerns that I do, which I think a lot of us do. We just don't voice our opinions because the Bethesda fanatics will eat us alive. Um... Yeah, they did a better job at exploration, in my opinion. Maybe there's not as much to explore. I think there is. This this game is huge. I think this is their biggest game. So there's because it's not like oh it's just one planet. It's a shit ton of planets, and usually on most planets, first of all, you're going right to the point of interest. There's no wasting time. You do not have to walk around and find this place. You do not have to go and talk to twelve people to unlock this place. It just wants you to get there. You might have to talk to somebody to unlock the mission. And once you have that mission, you don't even have to find it on your map, on your star map. Where you, like, you don't even have to look for the icon or the place. You can, right? It gives you that option if you want to. Don't. Just go in your mission log and hit travel or course. Set course. You press that. Then it literally opens up your map and it shows you right where it is. You can pick a manual landing spot. That's one thing. You can manually pick where to land, and then you could land in the middle of fucking nowhere. But if you haven't scanned the planet, or if you've ever been there, just land where it's suggesting, and you'll land at a hub. And then you could sell stuff, you could talk to NPCs, you could pick up side missions, side quests, you could do some right there. You can upgrade your ship. Everything you need are at these hubs, at these safe points. 
to collect, to refuel, to refill. And then you just go and you do the checklist of objectives. And I usually don't like checklists, and I usually don't like, like, fetch quests and all these. And I still don't. I still don't. And I don't love all of them on Starfield, I'll be honest. But so far, for the main missions, they've been fine. There's one mission that frustrated me. I played it last night. To be fair, I was very, very tired and irritable. So, irritable and tired. So, that's part of it. I actually think that's the bulk of it. I fucking failed this mission. It took me like an hour, and it's so stupidly simple. And I was just, I was being dumb. It's, it, it felt like an old school classic gamer moment. You'd retry, you'd retry, and you're like, motherfuck, I can't do it. And you're like, oh, it's so simple. I'm so dumb. You'd be amazed how many games back in the day, back in my day on the GameCube, how many games were not actually well uh, balanced, optimized, and or never told you how to fucking do something. If anyone ever remembers the original, the OG Spider-Man game based off the Tobey Maguire, Sam Raimi films, God bless those fucking movies, um... I played that on GameCube, the first one, and I, you know, I, I got through it eventually. Holy shit, did it take me forever to figure out how to catch that red fucking balloon. Oh my god, still traumatizes me to this day. That's one of the hardest, weirdest missions ever. I bet you if I picked it up and did it right now, I'd do it in four seconds. But when you're a kid, when you're, I was six, okay, so when you're a six-year-old, you're a fucking idiot, for one. And there is no internet. Well, there was internet. It was 2006. There was internet. <laughs> what a stupid thing to say. I didn't have access to the internet like that. What am I going to do? Run upstairs and use my parents' computer to look up a Spider-Man thing for essentially something that is probably not published because game forums and stuff really weren't that active? They were starting to become active. It wasn't until like 2010s where they were taking over. So if it wasn't in the magazine that said gaming for gaming tips, which it wasn't, good luck. Fuck you. You have to figure it out. Nowadays, you can look it up. I could have looked up this mission in Starfield. Because I, I was dying so much, and I'm like, yeah, it's, it's literally forcing me to play one way just for this mission. It's a very simple, brief mission. It took me... When I really thought about it and did it, it only took me 30 seconds to two minutes. Like, it's not that long. It's just a part of a mission. It's very simple. I was just tired, not paying attention, and trying to play fast and loose. Trying to play my own way. Also, so, so lastly, and something to, rem to remember, it's a single-player game. You can pause it, <laughs> or y when you open up your map, it will pause the game, I think. And you save it. There is autosave set, don't worry. But save it, too, just in case. There's quick saves, there's autosaves, and there's traditional saves, like a Bethesda game. Get used to saving your stuff. Um, Autosaves are there to help you just in case, but but quick save a lot because when you want to try one approach, you try the other, and you don't want to spin up and take forever to get back in. You know, it just lets you boot in quickly. Or if you're going to try something that you know might fuck up, you could just go back to save and say, okay, never mind. Not a lot of us will have the time or energy to play this game again. So use the save wisely. It's a single-player game. It's not an always online, persistent, connecting to servers, other people hopping and hopping out. It's just you. So, yeah, have fun with that. Um, I'm running out of time in this segment. Jesus, I talked forever, I know. It, I told you this is going to be the longest one. Uh, 
I'll, I'll wrap this up on more positives, good things, and I'll talk about negatives, which won't be nearly as long. And I might mention a few more positives in that, and then I'll wrap this whole thing up. Uh, but anyway, uh, real quick, skills, attributes. I'm not going to tell you which all of them are and which ones to pick. I picked the Bounty Hunter one to start. For, for one, in the character customization, there's a lot of options. They're all really cool. They're better than most, I think. They're really cool. So you spend your time, build your character the way you want, and then don't get too strung up on this. Just, you know, pick one that kind of interests you or look it up if you must. There are two tabs after that. There are, I think they call them, no, I think they call them skills. Skills or traits or whatever. They're your skill points. They're, they reworked these in Bethesda. You know, they have pretty traditional system of skill points. They did this beautifully. This might be one of the most interesting implementations. We will see how, how it goes, but I have never been so thoroughly impressed by the skills. God, I hope those who are listening have made it this far in the podcast. I know it's a long one, but this one, this point is important to make. Um, the skills and attributes are fucking dope. I, I'm not kidding. They are, first of all, they're useful. They're all, they all seem useful for different playstyles in different ways. I've heard that there is no cap, which is a godsend. Also, um, when you unlock one, right, there are levels to that one. So, like, say I get, like, a, a, I don't know, the jetpack one that allows me to have a better boost pack, to, to use my boost pack and to have it work better. And then I think there's a total of four or five four or five ranks to each skill you unlock and there's a shit ton of skills there's like 70 or 80 of them um maybe a little less but there's a good amount there's at least 50 i think um and then there's so then you're just like oh so there's four ranks to that so does that cost the skill point too to level that within the same skill just to get better percentages nope that's the good thing because it takes a while to level up so you're like oh my god that's like 400 skill points I'd have. I'd have to be so high level to max everything out. No, 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 no. You get the skill, and the base is good. It unlocks that, and it gives you whatever perk. And it's passive. It's all passive stuff, right? But then to rank it up, it literally will say there, and it'll show up when you do it right, when it shows it. It's just a challenge. And once you do that, it will rank it up passively. So you don't even have to get another skill point to rank up the same skill. You do have to get it to initially unlock the skill, to have it passively running, to get that benefit, and then to progress down that tree of ranking it up four or five times. For example, the jetpack boost thing. To get it to rank two, which I already did, I just had to get ten kills while jetpacking or boosting, which is not very difficult. I did that, got it to rank two. I think, I don't think you have to require... I could be wrong. I'm pretty sure you just have to rank it up. You just have to do the challenge and you automatically unlock it. I could be wrong. It could be something where you have to do those challenges and then you have to still use a skill point. If that's the case, that would actually kind of suck. It's not the end of the world. It's not difficult. It's just time-consuming. I don't actually know. I'm kind of curious. I want to check now. It never occurred to me. I beat the, I did the challenge, and then I never actually looked if it... Let me just check real quick. I've got my computer open. Because I it just occurred to me. I'm like, wait a second. Did it do that? Let's see. So I, was, I have the jetpack training. Yeah, 
What does available mean? Oh, do I still need a skill point? I think you do. Never mind. Huh. Okay. So you do have to do the previous things. And then you unlock the ability to rank it up. And then I think you might still need a skill point. Because it says right now the rank 2 is available. Hmm. Okay, never mind. Well, I'm glad I checked it, because it just occurred to me when I said that. I'm like, well, wait a second, shouldn't I? Huh. Okay, well, it's so it's four ranks per skill. Come to think of it, though, folks, you're going to be getting some good XP. I'm literally... One, two... You start with three, which gives you a head start. I have seven skills unlocked? Seven, eight... Oh, no, 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 more than that. I have nine. Eight. Eight or nine skills unlocked. And I'm only a couple hours in. A few, a few hours in. And mind you, you don't get a lot of XP in the first hour. So, you complete missions, you do stuff, you'll, you'll rank up good. Okay, well, that's good to know. I'm sorry that took a second. I just figured I had to check. So, you do have to do challenges. So, for like the boost pack training, which is definitely worth getting. You have to boost, jump ten times while in combat. I did that. So, now I've unlocked that. But I still need to rank up, and I don't have an extra skill point right now, to unlock rank 2 for that, which is using a boost pack expends less fuel. Right, so these are small bonuses, but they help. Security, you can attempt to ad hack advanced locks, all that. Oh, they also improve their, like, lock picking system with the digipicks. It's just a smoother, easier, more fun pattern-based lock picking. It's, it's actually thoroughly enjoyable, and it's easier to do. And I, I appreciate that greatly. Makes me want to lockpick more. So yeah. In in summary of the good stuff, they've improved a lot. They've overhauled the graphics, the art style, the audio design, the stability and performance, and the minimal amount of bugs is stellar, especially coming from Bethesda. The combat is exceptional for them and very solid just across the board in my opinion you've got all kinds of guns different types of ammo also carrying ammo never hesitate pick up ammo ammo does not cost any weight another ingenious but small thing that really adds up it has no weight so you can carry as much ammo as you want and it will not affect your encumbrance level praise the lord that means you can keep ammo in your inventory for fucking forever anyway um they just made every system better. Lots of skills, really fun and immersive dialogue, and really fun to kind of get into that RPG. Um, fast traveling like a motherfucker. Starship stuff. I didn't even get into that. You could fly your ship in any kind of way you want, and you can customize the fuck out of it, which I haven't really gotten into much, but it's really cool when you when you do. It is a, it's like Legos and shit. You just full schematic. You can tear down your entire ship and build it back piece by piece. And there's not much limitation. It's not like, it costs a little bit, but not too much. And it's really just dependent on the parts you already have or the things you have unlocked to improve that. So it's not too limiting. You know, it's kind of what you have in your sandbox you can build, you know. And so it's logically based on your progression. It's not, you know... It's not arbitrarily blocking you because you haven't done this or that for the most part. So you could build your ship in any way. You could have the same exact ship. You could tear it apart. You could build it to better optimize the stats for this or that or to look different. It's however you want to go about it. And you could collect and have a mass arsenal of all kinds of ships. You could steal them or you could buy them. 
even if you steal them, if you want them registered officially so you could start using their parts or selling or scrapping or rebuilding them, you do have to pay to get them registered. So, yeah. And it costs a good amount, but it doesn't cost as much as buying one. You know what I mean? So, lots of lots of cool mechanics for you to kind of play however you choose in whichever way within the incredible space sandbox they made, and they've made incredible improvements based on their previous history. So Bethesda's really knocked it out of the park and, th park and thoroughly surprised me. So all in all, really, this game is just so fun. I am only a few hours in. We'll see if it slows down. We'll see if it gets worse. I will make another episode in the future. But yeah, that's the positives. Let me get in some of the negatives, and let me wrap up and, and cover a few more things. Thanks. I know there's no ad breaks, but I treat it like there is. Anyway, um... Once again, I appreciate you all listening. I know this is a longer one just for only a few hours. Like, Jesus, I could have logged another hour and a half in the game. I could have, but I really wanted to get my thoughts on this as soon as I could. And right now, I'm available, and I'm not always readily available right now with my schedule. I love when British people call schedule schedule. It's the funniest shit ever. Okay, um, anyway... UI, uh, really clean. I love the art style and aesthetic. Now, I am more biased, okay? I like Skyrim. I like Elder Scrolls. I like Fallout. But in terms of lore, location, styles, all these things, I like space stuff more than high fantasy and more than post-apocalyptic nuclear wasteland. I think anybody could like space more than that. But I like the space fantasies, the space epics way more. I will be so much more willing to invest time and to be into an RPG of that caliber. And, you know, part of me is like, man, I wish I had this game sooner when I was a kid. But then also part of me is like, it couldn't have been this advanced. Just couldn't have made from the technology standpoint, but also just from a general understanding of how games are designed and how they're played. They just couldn't have had this without the culmination of their previous work. Honestly, folks... I think we're looking at another magnum opus, right? I would say Skyrim is their peak, but honestly, this is, in its own regard, their next peak. Fallout 76 was a flop. But even if Fallout 76 was good, Bethesda would not have had that. It wasn't that dramatic of a learning improvement. Studios and games and, well, all folks, all creators have these peaks and points and you know rises in their career and and there are times where you can tell that they have learned from their mistakes they've learned from what is right what is wrong and they've added new things and they've you can tell it's a culmination of all of their time in their craft and and of hard work and labor right so Elden Ring, I think, is the perfect example of such. It is a culmination of the years and years of From Software perfecting, fine-tuning, learning what's right, learning what's wrong, balancing it out, and making the most epic variation of their type of Dark Souls game yet, with new things that has never been seen from them. Right? They evolved, they changed, they stepped out of their comfort zone, they did stuff they wouldn't normally do, and they did the things that they normally do better i think that's an example of that it doesn't necessarily mean it is their greatest singular body of work some people would argue dark souls 3 is or even the first dark souls 
or Sekiro. I don't think anyone's arguing that that is their best work, but people are saying, you know, people unanimously agree that is a fantastic game, because it is. But I think a lot of people could safely say Elden Ring is not only just their most financial and commercial successful successful thing, or I think technically it's their most critically acclaimed thing now, but it's because of all the experience. It's not for nothing. It's not random chance. They knew going in this is the culmination of everything they know in peak form. And the reason why you only see this so often is, one, video games are not that old. Video games are about as old as hip-hop. A little older because they were in arcades and cabinets, but not much. Hip-hop just hit its 50th birthday. I think video games is 55 to 60 years old. Traditional, commercial, consumer-use video games. Not very old, folks. So, to be fair, there's not many these companies and publishers and developers that literally could hit a magnum opus because they haven't been around long enough. Any game studio that is still developing high-quality games that people are playing that came out in the early 2000s is a feat unto itself because they've survived 20-plus years. That's incredible for any studio. Think about that. 20-plus years. That's almost half of the entire lifespan of video games themselves. And if you've been dominating the markets or the popular consensus that long, that's even better. Some some people think that like if you've been doing it so long and get so comfortable and you don't change, who gives a shit? You're still you've maybe you've already hit your peak or your magnum opus in terms of the public. I still believe even if the public thinks you have, you're still improving. That you can't not be. Unless you willfully choose not to improve or something's forcing your hand where you can't. In the gaming sense, it's usually publisher forcing the developer's hand and limiting their creativity or their experimentation. Or it's the technological limitations of the time. It just depends. Okay? Um, CD Projekt Red, Cyberpunk was their magnum opus. It was a culmination of everything they've done. And it's evident when you play that. Some people say it's The Witcher 3. I could argue that too. I could definitely see that. Um, I think Cyberpunk was just, it wasn't as big, it wasn't as successful. I think Cyberpunk's a better playing game. I, like I said, I like the futuristic sci-fi shit more. I lean towards that more than I do the high fantasy stuff. But mind you, Elden Ring's one of my all-time favorite games, so that, that rule is not set in stone. But so is Halo Reach. You know what I mean? It's a toss-up. It's of quality. Halo Reach is literally... I don't care what people say. Halo Reach is Bungie's magnum opus. There's no two ways about it. Do you know why? It's because it was their last Halo game. And it was before they were worried. I mean, Des some people say Destiny 2 is their magnum opus. I disagree. Because Destiny 2 still takes, has taken a bajillion dollars and hundreds of years worth of expansions to get to where it's at. Nowadays, it might be considered that. I don't consider it that, though, because... You know what I mean? Halo Reach was such a radical... Now, some people say... Or Halo 3. Halo 3 or Halo Reach. I, I could see a lot of people arguing Halo 3. For the franchise and for the sake of Bungie, that was a massive improvement from across the board. I could see that. Halo Reach was just kind of fine-tuning and adding on to what Halo 3 did. Just a few years later, so... Either or. I could see that being made, right? Um... 
Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare. Right, the OG COD MW. Now this will actually be a more contentious debate, but for Infinity Ward alone, not for the entire COD franchise, I would say that was their magnum opus. That was their peak. That's It changed the entire gaming industry. Like, usually you can identify these because it wholeheartedly changes the entire fucking landscape of the industry that they're standing in. That's part of it. Right, Treyarch, I would argue, is Black Ops 2. That was their magnum opus. Right, so the pattern repeats. It is safe to say that for Bethesda, Skyrim was theirs. That was in 2011. They were around since the late 90s. So, you know, that's fair. Skyrim changed everything. You can have multiple, though, I think. I think you're allowed to have multiple magnum opus, things that like are a culmination of all your experience of work that stand the test of time and outpace everything else. I can't fully speak on Starfield outpacing everything else. It's not revolutionary, it's not game-changing, and it doesn't need to be. I think that's something we all have to understand as we go further into video games. People criticize film all the time. And not the people get paid to do it. I mean, just random fuckers criticize the film and film like, Oh, it's not changing, it's not evolutionary. Nothing is that evolutionary. And it is. You just don't see it happening. You don't have to experience it. Film and television has radically changed in the past 10 years. How do I know? How do you know? Well, just think about the movies that came out in 10 years ago. Seriously. Some better, some worse. Sure, things happen, right? But from a technological standpoint, from a philosophy, from a type of storytelling, and from a type of creative and people who are writing these films and stories nowadays, it's changed. These things evolve over time. Some, sometimes they make radical jumps, and that's when it, we all think we feel the change the most, because maybe we do. I could see that people would say, well, the last massive change for the film industry was Avatar, because it introduced mocap and the more familiar usage and higher quality of CGI. Yes, but so did King Kong. It just didn't do as well as Avatar. And that was in 2005. Peter Jackson's King Kong used that. Hell, Lord of the Rings in the early 2000s before King Kong used mocap. It wasn't unused. It was just not as popularized until after Avatar, right? And it's still not used as much as people think it is. Um, so anyway, right? So I get it. From a certain standpoint, you see it from the outsider looking in. You're like, wow, yeah, that was a radical change. Elden Ring. Elden Ring... Zelda, Elden Ring, those changed a lot of how games are made for open-world games and RPG games alike. Skyrim changed a lot of things. The first Assassin's Creed, you know, the stuff that is still popular nowadays because of the first couple changed them when they came out, right? COD, you know, Battlefield, all these things, right? So... I think it's important to understand that it's partially against the test of time. It's also partially the quality of the time and what it does different. But I think it's also just equally important when something doesn't radically change the way something is made. It's not reinventing the wheel. It's just making the wheel work better. That's equally as important, if not as important, as the change. You need both at the same time. If we didn't have that in a quite literal sense, we wouldn't have the fucking car. Right? The wheel was invented. It changed a lot for man and technology way back when that was invented. Yeah? Right? It was an important tool. 
nobody considered using it for a vehicle for a vehicle for a very long time. And then even then, horse-drawn carriage, things like that. It worked. It was good. It wasn't great. Right? And then the invention of the car, which took a whole other thought process and understanding of the world and the mechanics and the science and life in general. And then once we got to the car, look how much better the wheels are. That's why the fucking Flintstones are so funny, right? They're using modern technology or somewhat modern technology in an archaic and primitive form. It's hilarious. It's that juxtaposition that's very, very funny and appealing to so many, right? It's the same thing. Didn't have to reinvent the wheel. You just had to improve it for the times. That's what Starfield is. If Skyrim and Fallout 4 were like the wooden horse-drawn carriage, then Starfield is, quite frankly, a semi-decent wheel from, I don't know, 80s or 90s. Is it the new wheels that literally somehow defies defy my understanding of wheels that cannot be popped because they don't have air pressure in them and yet they still sustain the amount of weight and can still actually perform better as a wheel for the cars? Those are new. They're not very common. They're still in testing, but they're pretty fucking dope when you look them up. Uh, is Starfield that? No. Does it need to be? No. It's making such a significant jump and improving its own formula. Bethesda's own wheel. Its own. Pro it is improving it so much it makes it an enjoyable ride. That's all it needs to be at the end of the day. Because we know it could have just actually said, fuck the wheel, we're going horse. What? Horses are cool, but what? <laughs> it's not as efficient or as enjoyable in the long run. They could have done that. And instead they're like, no, we're going to actually listen to the people. We're going to improve. We're going we're gonna to polish this. We're going to improve what we already have. Not to say they haven't added a lot of cool new things. Obviously, it's a new world, a new IP, lots of new things they've never done before. But it's mostly stuff they've done before. They're just doing it better. They are. I just, I don't need to play this game for 200 hours to understand that in the first five hours they've already done it better because I've experienced so much of it in small samples already. And I know just right off the bat it is playing better and looking better and more enjoyable because of it. Everything in the last segment I mentioned as a positive is almost just a positive iteration upon stuff they've already created. Except a few things. So the starship and flying stuff, I don't think they've ever done something like this before. That's not easy to do, okay? Understanding games when you're making something fly, it's very difficult. And to make it balanced and to make it fun and enjoyable and, and a progression of itself is tricky. I haven't done it a lot, and I'm not good at it, so maybe I'm a little biased, but regardless, I like it. I, I understand that I like it. I'm not good at it. And I don't like how my ship sucks dick right now. But that's okay. Because me saying that, knowing that, is indicative of how good they've done. Because if I was like, this game sucks, the flying mechanics are janky and broken, da 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 um, Yeah, that would be a disappointment. You don't have to fly a lot. In fact, a lot of the time you won't, unless you want to. But when you do, it's very fun. 
And you can, and it's rewarding to do so. You can be a space pirate. My God, can you be a fucking space pirate? People, this is not a drill. Do you know how long I've wanted to be able to disable someone's engines on their ship and board them, kill everybody on board, and take the ship as my own? You can do that. I don't know how much you can do that, but I've heard you could do it pretty much to any ship that is not like a story-based ship or not legendary class. That's pretty fucking baller. And you could register that ship as your own, pay some credits, or you could sell it, scavenge, or, or salvage it, I mean, uh, whatever. I am not good enough at flying and shooting, and I don't have a good enough ship yet to do that. I'm not far enough in the game. But as soon as I am, folks, I'm being a motherfucking space pirate on my free time. I'm into the RPG mechanics, too. I really want to sink my teeth into these skill points. They are meaningful and they are kind of fun. They look very, very rewarding. Right? Uh, some of them I already start out with are rewarding. And you also start with traits, which I meant to mention earlier. You have three base traits when you create your character. I would choose some. I wouldn't choose any. I, I wouldn't, I mean, I wouldn't be the person who chooses none. I would definitely fill them up. Read them carefully. They all have pros and cons to them. And it just depends on your playstyle. I have the adoring fan, which I have yet to encounter, but it's like the, you know, it's the meme material. And he is going to give me certain rewards. He's going to be a helpful companion that has no moral compass, so I can take him on when I do space pirating shit, and he won't, like, scoff at me. So I picked that. Um, I also picked Wanted, <laughs> which sounds counterintuitive it, and random when you're exploring, when you're not in a main mission. Right, and we're not doing something crucial. But when you're just kind of exploring or just in the middle of traversing on foot, you will have a group of armed mercenaries try to kill you every once in a while. And you might ask, Sai, why the fuck would you opt for that in just passively, consistently throughout the entire game? Because it means two things. One... Uh, it gives me a passive perk at all times, regardless if these folks invade me. If I'm backed in a corner, if I'm low on health, I think I, like if I'm below 50% health, I have um, I do 25% more damage, which is just an awesome passive ability to have in the background. Kind of keep me fighting through faster. And then also, these guys, you know, first it allows some more consistent, random, spontaneous action, which I always appreciate. Also, when you kill enemies, you can loot them. And they might have good gear, ammo, some credits, some decent weapons. It's randomized loot, so, you know, could get something good. I forget the third one I have. Oh, the third one's like Taskmaster. It just makes... It costs 50% more to, to hire a new crew member for my ship, but they also have, uh, like, a massively increased chance at repairing... And improving functionality of my ship while in combat and stuff. And I chose that because I feel like I'm going to be doing a lot of um, space stuff. Especially if I want to be a space pirate, you know. So once I get a better crew, it's going to be very useful to keep me in the fight passively much longer than, than not. So yeah, those are what I chose. Uh, I'm having a blast with it. Um, this is the cons list, though. I know it's taking me a second to get to that, but I wanted to kind of wrap some of those up. But the points, by the way, really cool. I really just like all the skill points. You know, there's combat, there's physical, there's all these things, and they all, so far, dramatically benefit. 
And yes, you can you rank them up by doing challenges, and then you have to get apparently you have to get more skill points. So it's kind of a slog right now to get skill points, but I haven't done that many missions or objectives, so it's honestly not that bad. I've leveled up pretty quick considering I've only done a few things. Also, when you take a when you rest in game. Don't worry, it doesn't take real time, it only takes a few seconds. When you rest in-game, it gives you a passive, like, 10% XP boost for 30 minutes. Or, or 15, 15, or 30 minutes, something like that. So do that, when and where you can. Because you might as well get more XP. And you can do that forever, you can do that infinitely. It's insane. It's a very simple, hidden mechanic. There's a bunch of others that you should look up if you get this game. Um, this game is dense, there's a lot to do. You'll have a lot of stuff on your objective and tracking and quest, but so far, unlike any other Bethesda game, I don't feel as overwhelmed. Maybe because it's all in space and it's spread out, or maybe because the UI is cleaner. I don't feel too overwhelmed. And maybe because I'm older and smarter and I know how to handle these games, but it's not like, oh my god, I got so many things to do, so many... It's not like a Ubisoft game. It, there's still more than like Elden Ring. I, I prefer a more minimalistic approach, but it seems like they did take that into consideration a bit. They're not overwhelming or flooding you with a metric fuck ton of information. They're letting you understand the core mechanics and the basics, and they're letting you push through the main things you want. And it's always still by your volition and what you want to do. And I bet as I have more quests and things logged up, it's going to give me a little more anxiety to look at that and be like, Jesus, I, I don't even want to do all this stuff. And I won't. That's the thing. You don't have to. And I think in this game, I think we because it's so diverse and there's so many things you do, or you can do, this I think gives you more flexibility and freedom and less pressure to think you're choosing something where you're missing out. There's less of a risk of opportunity cost because there's more opportunities, if that makes sense. I know that might not add up, but unlike Skyrim or Fallout stuff in a singular world, there's so many different worlds, planets, different people, it's so much bigger that so what if you don't do this little side mission? Okay, you might miss out on something. It's there. You can always go back and do it again and it doesn't matter. <laughs> You're not missing out so heavily, and if you are, you'll probably find it online, and you could just do it. It really feels like it's trying to just be a little more like Elden Ring and say, Hey, hey, you know, if you want to go do that, go do that. Ain't no pressure. I like that. I do appreciate that. There's less pressure. Uh, these are all still positives. Here's some cons. All right, here's some cons. Inventory, not as good at managing. A little tedious. Um, I'm on PC, so like some of the keys, like switching weapons and healing, I'm getting used to. I'm not fully used to, so I don't love the natural layout, I, but I could change that. That's another big con, but it's just kind of weird. Uh, what else? But most of it actually feels pretty good and smooth. Um, I hope that we're going to get more diverse weapons, upgrades for weapons. Um, I don't know what future patches or content they plan in the future for this game, but I do hope we'll see some more unique weapons. And I understand that we will unlock powers later, so that's cool. Um, one thing... I, I do wish we had a map, at least a mini-map, while we're on a place. Um, I do wish the scanner showed different colors for different things, so if it's already explored or looted... It'll say, or that even when you don't have your scanner on a little HUD, it'll have a little red X next to it, or a gray X maybe, or kind of a grayed outline or something, so you know you've explored and like looted that body or that thing, right? That'd be cool. Um, 
I can't figure out how to heal my ship hole when I'm in combat. Maybe I'm not far enough into the game to have that mechanic, uh, or maybe... But I wish it was a little more clear on how to equip that and how to keep that going. Um, I don't quite understand how this currency works. Like, it's just, it's one currency, it's one credit, so that's not complicated. I don't get why certain things cost so much. Um, and I really wish that they wouldn't waste our fucking time with showing what's valuable. Because here's something you need to know. When you're on a planet, when you're just in a mission and you see something and you want to pick it up, it'll show you the weight. It'll show you what it does. Obviously, if it's a weapon or a gear, you should probably grab that. Or either if you're going to sell it or salvage it or whatever. But um, but the other thing is, like, it'll show its value, its potential value. So far, that's not remotely fucking true in anything it's showing me. Maybe it's like that's at max value. It's not average. Like something I like pick up and I was like, it's, oh, it's worth 200 credits. I'm like, oh, sure, I'll grab that. I'm new to the game. I'll cash it in for 200. That's quite a bit for here. And so I have like five of those and I'm like, okay, I'll be like a thousand. Nope. Wait, five of those? Uh, whatever. It's like, no, no. Well, then what? It was like, 60 a piece. I was like, what the fuck? How, how is it devalued this much? Is it where I'm at? Is it, what am I missing here? So I wish when you scan something, it shows the value. It was a little more accurate. It doesn't have to be spot on, but just keep it within like a 10% range. That way, if it's 10% more or 10% less, it's like, oh, okay, cool. That's fair. But if it's like 80% difference, I don't trust the value in it. So I'm really not going to pick it up because now, and so what's the point of showing the value in it? Maybe I need to get further. Maybe it's something I'm missing, right? And now that I've checked with the whole skill points thing, I think you're going to level up just fine, and there's a lot of skill points, and there's no skill cap, so this kind of satisfies those who really want to sink a lot of time. I would have rather just have it passively upgrade while you do those challenges. I don't like you still have to get a skill point. I thought having that challenge thing to passively rank it up meant you don't have to get a skill point. I didn't realize it was a progression slower However, it's not the end of the world. And I do appreciate that it's actually, it's decent challenges. They're not ridiculously ludicrous. It's like, use your jump pack ten times to get ten kills. That's how you get the first rank up out of four. That is not bad at all. These are very simple challenges. They are, and they're so simple and they're so tied into how you play the game. In fact, you will do them without realizing you're doing them. So it doesn't feel like you're going out of your way to do shit just to level up. At least not right now possibly later. So I really hope they keep that. I really like how everything is integral and tied into the gameplay loop. So for the most part, almost everything you're doing doesn't feel like you have to go out of your way and waste your time or slow down your general progress towards what you want to do to do something where you feel like you have to do. So far, I have not felt that yet, and I deeply appreciate that because that is a very, very hard balance to have. I wish you can um, lock items so you can't accidentally risk selling them or junking them or whatever, but, oh well, you can favorite them so you see the little heart, uh, which also, you want to do that because that equips it to your quick hotbar, you know, radial menu if you're on console most likely, whatever, so you can quickly swap in and out of the weapons on the fly. And you can have a lot slotted in there, you can have like 10 things slotted in there, so that's cool. Um... I, I think that's pretty much it. I don't have a lot of cons right now. 
Um, I hope that there's some more diverse enemies. Oh, the AI. The AI and the enemies are brain dead. They are not that very that, not very advanced. Maybe later they will be. That's okay. Uh, there's enough of them, and it's just kind of fun, uh, fun shooting gallery. They don't need to be the most intelligent or threatening. I do wish there were a little more, but to be honest with you folks, managing your ammo, hitting your shots, getting those critical hits, because it's still an RPG. It's not just a first-person shooter, right? So getting those damage on those numbers. There are different damage types, different resistance types, slightly, but they're there, so that's cool. Um... Honestly, when you're swarmed by the numbers and they're hitting you from different angles, yeah, it's a challenge. So if they're any smarter, it might actually be overpowered, but they are, they're pretty brain dead. I mean, they're, they're not the dumbest. There, there have been many more dumber. I mean, the general basic guards and non-elite enemies in Wolfenstein are so potato-brained, it's not even funny. So it's like, it's not that bad. It's not as bad as some of the dishonored basic soldiers. Uh, guards, but but it's not great. Um, also, I kind of wish that uh, and um, once you get more familiar with the game, you play more, you see more of the items, or you know how to scan, you get so much more comfortable knowing what to pick up and what not to. So that's great, because it's very clear and concise on its general information, even at a glance or even in a hurry, which is vital because it allows you to play at a faster pace and understanding the game without wondering if you already have that item. I do wish there was some color code coding in, or some icon that said you already have this in your inventory, so you know if you're picking it up, you're getting a duplicate. Sometimes it doesn't matter, or sometimes you want a duplicate, but often you don't. Also, they could have done some more details and polished up some areas on facial animations and, you know, and some of these other mechanics just to, you know, push them up a little more instead of, like, so much detail on fucking coffee mugs and leftover sandwiches and shit. All of which you could pick up and use. Cool. Why? That's cool. It's a cool amount of detail. And I guess people look for that nowadays but in a Bethesda game, but it's, like, it's pointless to me. I don't give a fuck. Why highlight all those things on my... Th I don't care about a notebook that is worth the value of 3 and weighs 0 0.10 mass and literally does nothing. I, I don't even know if you can use... You can't use it as a material for crafting. You could sell it for, what, 3 credits? Almost everything in the base of the game is higher than that value. From the start. So it's worthless. There was no point in creating that and rendering it. You could have had it for a set dressing for immersion, but to make it an interactable item that can fill up your inventory is horseshit. And I hate that Bethesda gets away with this and people are like, oh, it's really immersion. I'm like, for hoarders? Why does that matter? You know? Have a few things that don't matter too much, right? Have a, have a scale of priority, sure. But why? Why does it need a highlight on my scanner that the coffee mug and the notebook and a fucking pencil is all there that I can pick up and use? I can't use it. I can pick it up. Sure, it doesn't weigh a lot, so it doesn't affect me that much. But why have it? What? It, it doesn't weigh a lot, so it doesn't affect my weight in any way. Okay, great. I could sell it for, what, a total of 10 credits? They never... It's never like a quest item. It's never hiding anything in it. it they're, they're just copies. They're at every area. There's no point to them. It's so weird. You could have all of those still rendered in there, but just as dynamic objects that could be broken or fall. Just as set dressing. Not 
slottable inventory pickup items that have currency tied to them. Also, and maybe this is a skill point thing, selling stuff, I wish it was a little more smooth because it feels like in every component, Bethesda's really made everything seamless and really made things better. They need to improve the inventory system to make it where you could just on your persons and from your ship. And I, I No Man's Sky did this beautifully over time, and I think it's important that they do this too through just a, just a menu, regardless of where you are, unless you're in combat. You don't have to be at your ship. You don't. You have to. You don't have to be near. You can teleport the items to you from your ship if that's the excuse you need, or from your home base. Right. You can open up your inventory and see your persons. The name of your ship's inventory, the companions and what they're carrying at any time, and you could just transfer it through at any point. You can categorize every single item between every system of storage you have in the game at that point. That would be handy. And then you can mark them all for sale, or you could have a tab, which would be very efficient in your own inventory that they, they should add this part at the very least if they don't add the universal like teleportation of inventory management they should just have a tab that is meant for a cell call it the cell tab or the junk tab or whatever the shit you need so you could quickly go through your items and while you're on the fly junk it whatever so that way as soon as you go to a merchant you could just immediately go to that tab and select sell all instead of having to there that might be there i've only done i've only sold stuff once or twice so i might have missed it i feel like it has to be there somewhere right there's no way they missed out on that every game with an inventory system has that and i think fallout 4 did so i don't think it's foreign to bethesda so unless i missed it i don't think it's there so that would be nice to have that but more importantly than that because it's not that's not the end of the world though that'd be convenient i'd much rather have the system where you open up the tab and you can see the inventory between all characters and have it on your persons and or big big and or just have a cell terminal in your fucking ship even if you have to wait to like upgrade your ship to a certain level or buy it and so you have to get further in the game to unlock that component that might be there i might not be aware of that i don't look at many spoilers for this game for the further progression of it anyway so i could be missing that but that would be cool because that way you don't have to get off your ship to sell stuff you don't have to go and teleport to a planet and, and luckily the cell terminal is right at the landing zone for most places so it's not that inconvenient it's just like all these other things are so convenient to do and I guess you can fast travel. It really doesn't take that much time. But I would rather make it a cleaner, smoother way of transferring. and Because you have a lot of stuff. You can just have a lot of stuff that are just going to pile up. And you, while you'll have a good amount of weight, you will not have enough weight limitation, uh, weight, you know, uh, to hold stuff and inventory to hold stuff. You will never have enough for the amount of stuff that it's gonna that you're going to just accidentally pick up at point. So some And some sort of categorization or colorization of items two of the key items right i know there is for rarity like blue purple you know orange all that for the old legendary epic all that that's yeah, that's fine 
but some sort of icon or something for like this is ammo, this is a gun. Dude, I, I like in the beginning of the game, I was picking up the Maelstrom SMG. I had no fucking idea it was a gun. To be fair, I wasn't checking. I was just picking it up because I'm like, it sounds cool. I know in Bloom's Tower Defense 6, Maelstrom is a great path for the tech shooter. So obviously it's got to be somewhat useful. My dumbass didn't realize I picked up 17 fucking submachine guns, which are pretty weighty and I don't need all of them. I sold them, but they, you know, they didn't give me much for it. Anyway, so that's my point. A few, few polishing things really so far not that much here's my questions and concerns for the future of the game as i get further the pacing <laughs> i really hope these things don't slow down i hit one mission that slowed me down i'm like oh please god don't be giving me these missions throughout the game once or twice is no big deal but please i'm a grown man we're, we're done with these types of fucking oh you gotta be stealthy like it's an rpg let me play the way i want if i want to go loud make it viable i don't know I haven't the foggiest idea. It's actually hard to find uh, problems with this game. The um, the planets are barren as shit. Like, don't don't think that's exciting, because it's not. Also, the whole management of en energy shield, gravity, but all that, it ain't bad. Uh, it's it's not very. It's not fun or engaging. Some people like it, so I guess kudos to you. I don't really give a shit. Like, just... I don't know. And I don't even know if it statistically makes things much better. I can't tell. At least on the ballistic side. I can tell that when I put more of the... There's this little hot bar in the bottom left for those of you who don't know. It's kind of like Star Wars Rebels. You could prioritize your lasers, ballistics. Lasers are meant for, like, taking down shields, and they do light damage in general, but they take down the shields more then ballistics, light damage as well, but they prioritize once the shields are down, and then the missiles are just heavy hitters regardless. So you have those three systems of combat. Possibly more, and you can get, like, different types of, you know, different quality of firepower and as you upgrade your ship. It's a massive shipbuilder thing. I can't even explain to you because I haven't really done it, but so many parts to swap in. And I, I mean, you could just spend a lifetime on that. Oh, you also can build outposts. You can just become... Uh, person who mines resources and makes himself wealthy like there's so many paths right I'm, I'm just kind of doing a straight narrow pushing through some of the main objectives side missions being a lone ronin space pirate warrior whatever the hell i want to try not really at the space pirate yet i haven't done that yet but i want to eventually to board people's ships and take them <laughs> sounds awesome remember it's all ai too it's not online so you know which allows a good balance it allows things to actually be scaled to you for the most part. And when they're not, they're for good reason, I would think. Um, but anyway, I just don't... There's this little mini thing where you have to manage, like... You don't have to. You can just keep it baseline, but you can swap between prioritization. You can, like, decrease the scale or the little nodes in the weapons. You can pour it all into your engine or your shield or your gravity. And they all have different max capacities. It's hard to explain without you seeing it. It's very simple. It doesn't take a lot of work to do. You can do it while you're flying, while you're shooting, while you're doing all these things. And it kind of is like a little extra layer of immersion. I think that's a perfectly fine mechanic to some extent, but I think it's a little too much to try to manage, and I honestly, I don't know if it's worth it. I just kind of keep mine baseline, so across the board, they're all covered pretty healthily. So I can do, a, so it's most versatile. Just down the middle, I can do a little bit of everything the way I want. You know? But 
maybe as you get more ships, you, as you get upgrades, you can upgrade those nodes and those potentials. If that's the case, then, then I could see some more intrigue for that. Especially if it's a general statistical improvement. So we'll see. But that's pretty much it. These are my first five hours. I know I had a lot of information, a lot of thoughts. But I was mostly just talking about how Bethesda has improved upon the previous. Um, I'm really happy with what I, I'm playing on Starfield. I am worrisome that this will be a game that, as much as I like it, I cannot possibly stick with it for very long. Partially because there's other games that still pull my intrigue. Partially because the way this game is made. But I really, because it's space, because it's a massive improvement mechanically, combat is better, there's spaceships, there's all these things, and there's more fun to the role-playing for me personally, I really do want to sink my teeth into this and get further in the game. I really do. Um, also, my biggest con, there's no co-op. I'm fine with this being a prioritized as a single player, but I would have at least loved to have two, if not four player co-op. Yeah, scale the difficulty up if you must, I don't care. It doesn't have to be like a persistent always online. It doesn't have to even be No Man's Sky, Remnant 2, or like where, uh, or anything where like other players. There's no PvP. There's no people invading. It's just people. If your buddy wants to join you in your campaign, quite literally, if it's just that, if it's not even, and it, and the save is purely through their character and their ship and that, so it doesn't affect their campaign. So they still have to push through their campaign on their own or with a friend, kind of like Elden Ring. Or even like Remnant 2. Remnant 2, you jump in, you join a friend. It's highly worth... I mean, Remnant 2 is one of my favorite games this year. It's so fun. You have all your progress, all your stuff on your persons. So if you're visiting your buddy, you have all your stuff. You're as powerful as whatever. That's all good. And you're helping them on their campaign, their mission, that boss fight. And once you do, you still have to fight it on yours if you haven't already. Right? That's fine. Just have that system. You know? I'd love to play this with my friends. Yeah, sure, it'd be cool to like build outposts and to share a world, a planet together. But like, that's not this. That's No Man's Sky more so. But it would be just cool to have all of our progression cross-saved through our person. So when we join our buddies, we all have our own stuff, have our own things. Right? It shares the loot, shares some of the love, you know. It's not like you're fighting over resources. You don't get companions. Companions are temporarily disabled. That's the thing. And, like, you can have starships that, like, require four people to properly operate. Oh, my God! That'd be so cool if you could have someone independently on the gun system, like in the Millennium Falcon. You know, someone who's in the navigator, who's helping chart the course and keep the steady course and help maintain like defensive systems or the engine and all that the main pilot and then like a mechanic who can like run around and repair the ship that's something i've never understood why like a, there there's not many games that actually do that where like you're in the ship and you can actually like operate it by getting in the seat and like playing it like a regular game and but then also like you can get out of it walk around and and interact with it there are some games that do that for different things, but never like a spaceship with co-op friends that I've seen that is, that's readily available. And I could definitely see Starfield pulling that off. I mean, you could already, already walk around and interact with your ship. 
That'd be so cool. So yeah, a four up to a four-player co-op, right, with your own person and character ship. All your stats still save and cross over, so when you're joining a friend, you have all your stuff, right? But you're helping them in their campaign. So if you haven't done that mission, it doesn't. you still have to do it in your world. And whether they have to help you or you just do that on your own. And that way, it still stays more of a priority for single-player, right? But to have that as an option to just play with friends, I think would make it just more enjoyable. Because then I could play with my friends. You know? That would be really fun. This is a space epic. People want to play with one another. I'd love to have four-player seamless usage of one ship all with a roll and for us to be space pirates. Sea of Thieves! That's the one. Pirates. Duh. Sea of Thieves is the only game I know of that does that. And it's incredible for that and almost just that alone. Combat's okay. Exploration's alright, but that is the most fun component of Sea of Thieves, in my opinion. That kept me hooked for hours with my friends. We just get on, we have our own progress and stuff, but we get in a ship. It's kind of randomized, it's like roguelite, you get your a new ship every time you spawn in, I think. But you get your ship, and everyone has a different role. And you can run around deck and, oh, I gotta get on the cannon, I gotta load it. Run under deck, below deck, get the cannonball, load it, fire it. While your buddy's steering it and your other buddy's on top fixing the sails or putting out a fire with a bucket of water. That ship was awesome. They did that right. They made that so fun with your friends to be able to be on a pirate ship and just do that. And, yeah, God, it's a fun game. I don't even know why we stopped playing. Eh, just other games came out. It's a big game. There's a lot to do. Still a fun game. Gonna have to jump in that. So if Starfield, I mean, these are both Microsoft exclusives, right? If Starfield did that, but with spaceships and with the graphics and with the mechanics of Bethesda, oh my god. Or even if they had a separate multiplayer mode that had nothing to do with the single player and built those those systems into it, man. Then then that would be the game of a lifetime. Or just a spinoff. I don't care. But now that we know that the space style, the mechanics, it all works seamlessly and it's so large scale, it just... Yeah, it's cool to have a single-player game. I miss, and I love having just traditional single-player games. I do. But to have multiplayer components, you can still have that while prioritizing the single-player experience, and there's no reason not to. And obviously, if they do that, they got to make a cross-play, cross-progression. Just keep up with the times. But anyway, all in all, Starfield has been a blast. Like I said, I'm only a few hours in. I'm really not far enough to be giving such a long review on, but I wanted to just getting some details mechanics for those of you who don't know or for those of you who may know or didn't remember whatever the case those are my initial thoughts i will be doing another podcast as i get further into the game i do plan on grinding this out a little bit but we'll see because uh, my schedule is busy and i've got other games that are on the docket um but i am excited i am having a blast and i highly highly recommend starfield for those who like these types of games if you like bethesda games this is for you this is a Bethesda game through and through, but they've done the best job at making it fun. Uh, so far, at least. So, yeah, if you like Bethesda games, you'll like this. If you're not a big Bethesda fan, you're not an RPG fan, that's alright. If you like Star shit, Star Trek, Star Wars, spaceship-related things, I would look into picking this one up. Also, if you have Game Pass, what are you doing? You have the privilege to play this game that is you know, shaking the earth of all the gaming industry for free. Where most people are paying 60 or $70, you get to just play it right now. 
it is a uh the one other con it's huge this game is a hundred and like 10 gigs out the out the gate compress your damn files devs come on that's fucking ludicrous that is the that's actually probably the biggest downside it's probably for good reason that it's big i can understand it being near 100 gigs but a little over that is a little much i don't know i don't know how these things work but that's much other than that though for my game pass folks there's no reason not to get this game and for those of you who are curious if it's worth purchasing if you like i said if you like bethesda games if you like these types of games great if you don't have time if you don't feel like sinking the time if you don't want to just be sinking time in a single player game i'd hold off on it especially if you have to buy it i'd wait till it's on sale there's no rush this game is going to be around for a very long time and there's a lot to do so don't feel the pressure into rushing into it because everyone's playing it i'm playing it because i like these types of games they interest me i'm a gamer and i have game pass there's no reason not to but don't feel pressured this game is phenomenal so far i'm having a blast this might be my favorite bethesda title it really might be you know we'll just have to see thank you all for listening i hope you have a good day and until next time peace and love